let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Delicious things to eat. The popcorn can't be beat. The sparkling drinks are just dandy. The chocolate bars and the candy. So let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Let's all go to the lobby. I'm a fan of classic movies. Welcome to Overlapping Dialogue, a podcast of audio commentaries dedicated to discussing cinema that fascinates us in a way we hope fascinates you. We're your co-hosts, Kyle Levi Huffman. I'm Kyle. I'm Levi. And here we are, and you heard a little bit of a spooky intro. Spooky! Yeah. Uh, so, it's October. Yeah. This is dropping on October 1st, I believe. Yeah. Um, and we thought we would, we're, and I think we said this last time, we might do this every year, we might not, I don't know, it's First our podcast, so anyway. we can decide. Yeah. Thank you very much. Um, but if you would like to express to any complaints, investment. thank you very, very much. much. Feel free to email us at huffmanbrothersproductions at gmail.com. Again, that's huffmanbrothersproductions at gmail.com. And again, we're going to be spending all of Spooktober, October, whatever you call it, in your I household. do call it October. We call yeah. it Spooktober as a joke because right. I think that people that do that are ridiculous. But anyway, so yeah. if that's you, uh, yeah, you're ridiculous. So anyway, <laughs> but uh, yeah. all throughout all throughout October, we're going to be doing horror slash horror thriller ish slash a little bit of horror comedy in there too. Mm-hmm. Um, all throughout this month, uh, you know, being the child of uh, Kimberly Huffman, mm-hmm. fall holds a very special place in this household. Um, and I deeply love it myself as well on a very deep level. It's my favorite of uh, all the uh, seasons. Um, what does fall mean to you specifically, Levi? And also, how do horror movies fit into your fall each and every year? Well, fall's good because it's the end of summer. Summer's Thunder's way too hot. To cool down. Yeah. As we all know, uh, we'll do temperature checks here and there on me. <laughs> it's getting cool. 
Yeah, um, so good. Sometimes that aggravates the allergies and kind of general well-being sometimes of myself as far as weather changes. But, you know, once it gets figured out, it's always nice. Because, you know, right now we're at that time of fall. We're getting real specific about weather stuff. No, right? who cares? Uh, we're at that time of fall where the barometric pressure is changing up and down and you've got, you know, weather. Yeah. It's, it's, it's it's started it's, to get a little colder, right. but there's going to be some yeah, so echoes like, of 80s next Paul, week. Past that time, which really can take into October, I mean, yeah. you know, um, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, well, some people. Yeah. Um, but yeah, as far as the way horror movies fit into that, I mean, I'm one of those people that usually watches whatever movie I want whenever I want. I don't really, you know, other than like Christmas movies, I do have a little bit of a trouble watching those other than during that time. But horror movies, that's a little bit different. I guess it, uh, even if it is more Halloween themed, I guess I can watch it whenever I want to. Um, but we have that freedom, you know, yeah, to do that. Yeah. So you know, but so we do usually watch some. We probably watch an above average amount than what we normally do. Yeah. In terms of the rest of our of the year. family, we do. Yeah. We'll kind of watch some stuff and uh, here and there on weekends. But as far as us personally, yeah, um, we're usually on a different timetable anyway so it doesn't really affect it but uh but yes fall is <laughs> my favorite yes, season yes. for a variety of reasons one just all the family memories i have associated mm-hmm. with it's just a great time with family um football full yeah, swing of course yeah. uh fall movie season mm-hmm. now while it's off oftentimes in the service of awards bait still you do get an above average amount of good movies yeah, come out in the fall, in, most other times uh, of the year, late winter and spring. Um, and in in general, it's kind of the unofficial start to the holiday season you have with yeah. Thanksgiving and Christmas coming down the pike, uh, in the end of the year. So I really do genuinely love fall. And as far as how horror movies fit into that for me, um, I think we've talked about this in passing in past podcasts. Um, I'm a bit of an agnostic when it comes to the horror genre. But someone who is intrigued by its thrills at the same time. Yeah. Uh, there are great horror movies, like there are great any other kind of movies. Um, but also, it's not a genre that if I'm just like, oh, what do I want to do tonight? It's going to be my go-to first thing, yeah. like it is for other people. I, I, I'm genuinely interested in why and how people want to be scared, um, and how there it's like a sensation that is supposed to cause us disharm, yet people find comforting for some and i'm not even saying that's a wholly bad yeah. thing i think for some it can be a cathartic experience um but also leave some tension in their life in some yeah. way <clears throat> kind of like how comedy moves i mean comedies and horror movies get compared all the time because they're kind of the polar opposites of each other uh, and that's why oftentimes i don't think that either you can put them together you know like people mm-hmm. always think that you can i mean there are some but very few i think what the but, biggest similarity yeah. is is that they are both primarily intended to inflict a, a gut reaction, a gut like uh, physical response, yeah, right. laughter or screams or terror. Right. You know what yeah. I mean? And those are very physical things. Yeah. When you watch like a quote sci-fi movie or a quote drama or a document, you know what I mean? All these other mediums of cinema, they don't immediately elicit yeah. that same right. uh, do this, do that. It's right. like very you know yeah. comforting, I guess, yeah. for people. Mm-hmm. Um, and so. I do think, though, and I'll say this, and this will offend horror fans, and I don't really care, um, that the horror genre has provoked a larger volume of trash than any other yeah. genre that's been... And now, again, every genre has its trash, so don't, don't get it twisted. But um, but we thought we'd pick some 
Uh, and this is just a brief selection because there's a great many of other horror movies that we love or fascinated. These by. are ones we thought would be interesting. Yeah, and so time. this, uh, there's one in particular. One we'll talk about actually next week. Um, that we're a little colder on me, maybe more than you, but still, yeah, like it's like it, not it, something yeah. that. But even in me not being such a big fan of it, it's still something that is wildly, wildly fascinating and very well, thought provoking. It's easy and interesting. to say it's the most art house of the group. Yeah. So uh, we'll talk about why that is later. Yeah, so. but so for our very first one, we're going to be hitting up Creep Show from, I usually write down 1982. The year. Yeah, 1982, directed by George Romero, one of the masters of horror, uh, written by another master of horror, Stephen King. Uh, so we'll be getting into that in here just a little bit. But first, we gotta, we just gotta dive yeah, into, I mean, let's go, that Blue Plate special. Hi, Audrey. Norma. Have a cup of coffee, please? Sure. I'll have what she's having. Is indeed yeah. up. Sorry, I had to repeat it. You know, we, again, I wasn't sure if it, if everybody in the cafe could hear us, so I thought mm-hmm. that, that guy he was really working. And we wanted you know, to make sure to there. include that last little sound clip for all those country bearheads that are still yeah. out there sticking with us. So you know, it's like it's like in a classroom when you're trying to speak to everybody and nobody's listening. That one student is like, "Hey, yeah. they're trying to talk." Right. Like I was that person in that moment. So. <laughs> So, um, we want to start off today, um, we were saying RIP to Norm MacDonald just yeah. last week, now we're already saying it again, but this time to Melvin Van Peebles, who we actually talked a little bit about briefly back when uh, Robert, Robert Downey Sr. Had, had passed, passed away, yeah. I think we talked about that on the Escape from the Planet of the Apes yes, pod uh, a while yeah. back. Um because we kept staring at the DVD menu for so long. And Richard Donner also, I think we yeah, talked about that Yeah, that was too. at that time. Um, mm-hmm. So Melvin Van Peebles recently just passed away. He actually had only turned 89 just in uh, August. Um, mm-hmm. So we re- pretty recently celebrated a birthday. Um, we also talked about... We, we, we grouped him together when we were talking about um, Robert Downey Sr. because they were both these kind of maverick icons of art house cinema of a particular era of like that cinema, 60s yeah. and 70s early 70s era um and it's so strange because um back a few months ago the criterion collection had announced a set of some of his films that they were getting ready to put out and uh, it even has some new interviews with him on here um, I'd be curious to watch this, and I literally just got this yesterday. Yeah, because um, so it just got released like this week, right? Yeah, yeah. So some of these films we've seen, some of them we haven't yet. Uh, that are just on this set alone. I'm holding in my hand right yeah. now. The story of a three day pass, Watermelon Man, uh, Sweet Sweetback, and Don't Play Us Cheap. Um, all movies that he had something to do with or directed uh, I should say it also has some short films on here uh, Sun Sunlight Three Pickup Men for Herrick and Le Cinque Cent Balles um, so when you think of Melvin Van Peebles and what his movies particularly the two we've seen talking about Watermelon Man and Sweet Sweetback mean and that moment of film 
Uh, uh, where do you even begin, I guess, to think about that? I don't know. I mean, I'll start with Watermelon Man because, first of all, that's the movie we've seen most recent. It it's, was the first marginally more conventional, and I can remember more about it because it didn't totally make my head explode. Um, I think that's not even subtly just is one of the most impressive studio movies I've ever seen. Um, in the fact that it was seriously bought, yeah, uh, Columbia I think put it out. Columbia bought, paid for, and was enthusiastic about that, and it made the money. Fact that all all and, those yes. boxes were checked. Yeah, is a and the, they wanted more. And he was like, no. And he was kind of like, turned off by right. that. He was and like, then oh, went to make yeah. Sweet Sweet back right. in response to that. Yeah, and um, we talked about that, you know, a little bit in the past, but that that's literally about this racist white man basically was, turns black overnight yeah. and about what that... It's like the metamorphosis, basically, the Franz Kafka yeah. story. But that, you know, and you would think... a. a Something like that would have to be made eventually, and you would think though that something like that would be made by somebody like Stanley Kramer, you know, yeah, or somebody like that. That it would just be a really basic, kind of stupid, infantile version of like real serious, and it is not at all. I mean, it is actually serious, it's a very irreverent, but though, yeah. it is so funny, mm-hmm. and and I mean. You know, thankfully, a black filmmaker made it because it feels like some old white guy could have made it at that time and like been like, got all the pats on their back and yeah. said, "What a progressive white man!" No, you no, are. no disrespect, to Otto uh, Preminger. No, by the way. Or, I'm just putting that in the context. Stanley Kramer necessarily, or yeah, or that. But yeah. uh, you know, but with Stanley yeah. Kramer movies, some of those social issues movies, some of which I like. There's always like a punch that's being pulled. Ultimately, it's not really quite as mean or as as it needs to be about the subject matter, and he doesn't pull any punches. Well, and uh, we've talked about this in the past, about Guess Who's Coming to Dinner, that the movie positions itself as really, you know, progressive, but it's like, but still the movie is acting like, well, this is a problem we're going to have to deal with. And it's like, well, maybe if you weren't latently racist, it wouldn't be a problem. You and know I what I mean? I feel weird because like, that is certainly reflecting in reality. Yeah, it is. Uh, uh, but and, I feel like the movie yeah. itself is not propelling that forward no. any more than it could. But again, with Van Peebles, there's no punches pulled, and with Watermelon Man especially. And I think there's a point to that movie that it's saying, okay, these supposedly progressive Democrat parents are, are kind of reacting like, oh, wait. But, well, actually, but when it ha- affects right. our daughter, so I think yeah. that's interesting. But there's still something about the movie that doesn't get all the way there. But anyway, yeah. um, so and the ending of that movie is just like I mean, yeah. the ending of Sweet Sweetback is its own madness. But yeah. the final image of Watermelon right. Man, <laughs> you like, said what? when we watched it, when we watched it, you described it as "Look at this! You're gonna have to look at this!" Like, yeah. and it's just like what? And that's a really pretty amazing probably one of my so many favorite movies i've seen this year um and uh, so far you know it was made in the seven 1970 or whenever but like you know yeah um and as far as sweet sweetback goes i mean you can speak a lot more about that movie i've only seen it once and you've seen it twice but three times or three times yeah Yeah. uh i i don't know i mean it, it it's a movie that I like, but I don't know what to say about. I mean, it, it is what it is in a way. You said you wrote a whole paper about this, so you can kind of talk about it. But people think that Easy Rider was so revolutionary when actually it's not really when you really get down to it. Um, but that that is just another level of like wow. Um, yeah, um, and that it then that that was in itself an art house success. 
It was a huge. Is, it was actually a yeah, big financial right. success, and he. Yeah. And again, part of the success of the Watermelon Man that scared him was that he felt like he was saying something that most studio movies never got to say, and he felt like the studios were not necessarily co-opting Watermelon Man, but would co-opt future works from him. I think was what he was thinking. Yes, and was thinking, well, I don't want anything to do with this. Right. Uh, if there, he was kind of you know. It's like you shoot somebody dead in the street and the cops applaud and watch you do it. And it's just like, wait, what? Like, you're supposed yeah. to be... Anyways. Yeah. And so he he goes off and makes Sweet Sweet Back, which he's not only directs, acts, produces, yeah, everything. Um, and again, that whole movie kind of, you know, uh, begins in terms of, like, this dedication that it has at the very beginning. Yeah. Um, I'm going to find that here real quick. Uh, but what's so shocking about Sweet Sweet Back is the fact that it actually did break through and was a success because yeah. I could easily see that being a movie um, that was seen by some people but then eventually fell by the wayside and, um, you know, was not all that much of a widely seen thing. But it yeah. actually was a huge success when it came out. And it's coming out in the midst of the civil rights movement had essentially kind of came to a unfortunate end and the black power movement was still a thing but you know much more was not nearly as interested in the sense of reconciliation in many ways yeah. that king was from earlier but again the movie begins with a dedication of him as he's like looking back to this black void and it's like a freeze frame that zooms in on the shot and the dedication at the beginning of the movie says this film is dedicated to all the brothers and sisters who had enough of the man and there's um, like capital capitalized brothers and the first yeah. you know like they are and the yeah, man big nouns also yeah. capitalized right um and i've seen the movie three times um part of my joy of getting this box set is that i've just seen some steals from the 4k remaster or restoration which it says here was approved by him um and i'm just so excited to see that because i've only ever seen it on crappy dvd versions yeah um i remember seeing it once by myself for the first time um, in college, uh, and just being like, what is this? It was like a, yeah. a, literally an atom bomb blew up in my mind. And I've never really since had a movie I've watched that I didn't quote give any star rating on Letterboxd. That's the only movie still that I'm like, I don't know what to give this because it's just so, so something. I don't know what it is. I saw it again um, for a... Uh, third world counter cinema class i had in college and i could tell i was the only person other than the instructor who had seen it before um and there were a few walkouts i remember and it was kind of that was a weird class it's like <laughs> let me just go off on a yeah. side about this that third world counter cinema class was like on wednesday nights in the fall um from like 4 30 to 8 30 so you're literally seeing like some of the most challenging cinema you'll ever see at that time slot. It's just yeah. like a very tough hang sometimes. Um, and that one wasn't because I'd seen it already and was familiar with it, but some other ones, oh boy. Um, but, and just like seeing it with a crowd, the, the crowd that it was, was a really cool experience just in terms of hearing people laugh and be shocked by it. And then I think we had watched it together yeah. um, some years ago. Um and again, I wrote a paper about it in that Third World Counter Cinema class on its relation to um, uh, Easy Rider. How Easy Rider was kind of positioned as this big kind of art house hit. And oh, look at New Hollywood, here it comes. 
And that by contrast, Sweet Sweetback was a movie that kind of got like, oh, it's the quote the first black exploitation movie, and then all the black exploitation movies come out of that. There's never any movie that you would call a black exploitation movie nearly as radical as that is, though. Yeah. That's by far like the most radical thing. Yeah. And, and yeah, I, because a lot of those black exploitation movies took a lot from the like thirties gangster picture and, and repurposed like, right. it. And yeah. so like that isn't that at all. It's it's strange. It's almost like a superhero movie. Yeah. Um but it's I don't know. It, yeah, it's it's a lot of things, but I, that's what I normally think of it as in and, a way is And the, Easy Rider and uh, we might, well there's a high likelihood we'll do Easy Rider on this podcast one day because it's yeah. a movie that fascinates us more than we really like it. Yeah. Uh, I mean it's not horrible exactly, no. but it has horrible things about it I would yeah. say too though. Um but it, you know, that movie's position is this big new thing. When at, in actuality, it was like the evolution of the Corman AIP biker film yeah. that got repurposed into slightly something different, and even had a lot of the same talent that come out of those yeah. movies. Peter, and even some, Peter Fonda, I, it, it, yeah. Jack Nicholson, Dennis and it was Popper. made after the fact. But even a movie like The Trip reminds me a lot of Easy Rider. I think there yeah. became an uh, an intent in the Corman films to be like, let's make these acid movies. Right. And so in some ways, even though it was made by BBS and was, and was came out of people who came out of Corman at the same time, it, it, easy rider is a little bit different in the sense that, okay, it does feel like it is really trying to be something, Yeah. but it just isn't, but it still does feel like some of those other movies like psych out or especially the trip. Yeah. But, uh, but, but again, a lot of people from privileged backgrounds or people who had a career in Hollywood, especially Peter Fonda being the son of Henry Fonda, you know what I mean? Yeah. It has this white, kind of privileged version of being this outcast loner guy. Yeah. Melvin Van Peebles is very much a self-made man who kind of did all this on his own and adds this sense of authenticity. And again... Something I always talk about is the very end of that movie. It's almost like a promise that Sweet Sweetback's coming back and he's going to burn it all to the ground. And then, of course, uh, in some ways that was setting up a sequel that never came to pass. Yeah. It almost, to me, and again, in the midst of the black power movement at that time, is a warning. The, like you said, he's almost like a super heroic yeah. figure that he will one day come back and wreak havoc I mean, that we've never run seen feet, before. Do your thing, yeah. as the song tells us in the movie. So um, yeah. it's just one of those movies I love to recommend to people and uh, and just see if I they mean give the it a chance, opening. You know? I mean, if you get past the first ten minutes, yeah. you can watch anything in your life. People said that about that first episode of the Nick when it came yeah. out. I've always thought that about that movie. I'm and I'm not even going to discuss what it is. Yeah. Uh, it is not fit for minds, yeah. uh, and God would not like me to describe it. So you know. So but um, anyway, so uh, but it should be said he lived to be yeah. eighty nine years old. He hadn't made movies in a long time. His son Mario Van Peebles is kind of his own actor. He made uh, New Jack City. Which do you remember? Yeah. There's a scene where that's playing in the background. Yeah, of like a yeah, yeah. right. And uh, he even made a movie about the making of Sweet Sweet Back. I can't remember the name of that. Yeah, I've heard of that. Uh, but I don't remember. And he starred in it as right. his father, and yeah. they were very close. Um. So, again, we've only seen two movies from him, but they've both made very seismic immediate They only can, I mean, yeah. Especially, like I said, I think Sweet Sweetback is so impressive that it is in its own other league of movie, and that it just so shocked me. I have, honestly, less to think about it. Like, the mind can't contain it, in a way, to even analyze it, but... Watermelon Man, I really oh, quite enjoyed uh, it actually watching says that recently. movie that his son made about him is actually on this... Oh, really? 
uh, hmm. set. It says also including the set is, uh, yeah. So it's in there. What's it called? Uh, it's part of the title, the full title of uh, this movie. Uh, oh, Sweet, okay. Sweet that Pack. part of it yeah. we're not going to say, yes. Yeah, but you you can very quickly look and find okay. out. Uh, so, yeah, Melvin Man yeah. Peoples, rest in peace. Uh, again, it's very strange that they had yeah. just had this set getting ready to come out and then his passing. So, rest in peace. Run to feet, do your thing. Melvin Van Peoples. Yeah. Something. Uh, another death of sorts. Another death of the creative soul. Uh, we want to. I don't know how long we're going to talk about this story. I don't want to talk uh, about this very long. But um, there's a news story that dropped this week. I'm going to. Re- and normally, I don't read directly from press releases. That's normally, what, we I, read Variety I said or this Hollywood Reporter in the articles. Car, yeah. uh, we were actually driving riding back from Asheville when we were getting caught up on our our stuff for the week. Our goodies. Uh, a little goodies, <laughs> as uh, Marlon Brando said in the last. Uh, uh, last Tango in Paris. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, Netflix acquires iconic Raw Doll Story Company, a Netflix uh, press release. Like I said, we never normally <laughs> read the press releases. It's like we read it on Hollywood Reporter reports it or something. Right. Um, but This isn't all that long. I just want to go ahead and read this whole thing. And you can, it's you, hilarious. And if you want to just stop and give a running comment or commentary, please feel okay. free. We're excited to announce the Raw Doll Story Company, RDSC, and Netflix are joining forces to bring some of the world's most loved stories to current and future fans in creative new ways. Stop right there. RDSC? What is this? A Like a Mad Men like, advertising company or something? Like, Old Doll Draper Prize. Yeah, yeah, anyway. This acquisition, acquisition builds on the partnership we started three years ago to create a slate of animated TV series. For example... <laughs> Academy Award winning filmmaker Taka Waititi and Academy Award nominator Phil Johnston are currently working on a series based on the world of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. In addition, we're working with Sony and working title on an adaption of Matilda the Musical. Wait a minute. Go back up. Yes. Academy Award winning. What did he win? Did he win... Screenplay uh, for Jojo Rabbit? Yeah, I think so. Okay, that's right. Anyway, move on. These projects opened our eyes to a much more ambitious venture. The creation of a unique universe across animated and live-action films and TV, publishing, games, immersive experiences, live theater, consumer products, and more. Cons- There's always and more, Hang by on. the way. You know, they they just said consumer products <laughs> in something that... I know that the... Pre- yeah, because by the way, we can talk about this. At the very bottom, it says something about ed- to, a note to editors yeah. that edit this thing. So clearly this isn't necessarily... Totally intended towards just everyday people, but you can look this stuff up, mm-hmm. and it just said consumer products. Yeah, like they think I'm dumb enough to not realize this is all a big capitalist game, right? Yeah. Like, totally shameful. Anyway, continue. Roll Dolls Live theater, books. by the way. What the hell is that going to be? But Roll, anyway, Roll Dolls books have been translated into 63 languages and sold more than 300 million copies worldwide with characters like Matilda, the BFG. I can still never uh, wrap my head around that's a thing. The, the BFG? Yeah. yeah. It's Fantastic stupid. Mr. Fox, Willy Wonka. And the, the LFG? Yeah. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> and the Twits, delighted the generation twits. of children's and adults. These stories and their messages of the power and possibility of young people have never felt more pertinent. Any thoughts or comments on any of that? Not so far. As we bring these timeless tales to more audiences in new formats, we're committed to maintaining their unique spirit and their universal themes of surprise and kindness, and also sprinkling some fresh magic into the mix. <laughs> I want to say I love, something here. Wait, universal uh, themes of uh, surprise. 
I love the theme of surprise. <laughs> what is this? Okay, like? so kindness clearly that's yeah. like a theme. But is this like the Sony leaks where they yeah. have like blue Themes, color blue, blue yeah, like for those Smurfs uh, backpacks? Like you know, and all of them like, like family theme of somewhere. surprise. Like yeah. what? So um, so again, kindness. Okay, uh, but I love surprise. it when they're like into the mix. Yeah. Like, what what is this? Like he was running in the street era. Like what are you talking about? Like. We'll get to that movie eventually. We want to say a huge thank you to all the people who. By the way, this is the him reading so it, not far. not us thanking yep. you. Yeah. <laughs> Looking ahead, we're excited to continue the close working relationships between the RDSC with. It sounds like a Degum, uh, like a CDC or something. Well, it almost sounds like a to me like a Nazi reeducation program or something. Yeah, like, established by the RDSC. <laughs> In a existing Nazi re-education program. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it might as well like be. within, like say, within Nazi Germany, had they won and they like went in and set up the RDSC and every major. Oh, you're talking nation, about like, okay to yes. like re-educate them wow. in the Nazi ways. Or uh, their Nazi ways. Yeah. Uh, existing rights holders, publishing theater, and entertainment partners, and many others to protect and grow the great legacy of these beloved stories. There is a moment in James and the Giant Peach when the ladybird says, We are now about to visit the most marvelous places and see the most wonderful things. The, the centipede, centipede replies, There centipede. is no knowing what we shall see. Netflix and the Raw Doll Story Company share a deep love of storytelling and a growing global fan base. Together, we have an extraordinary opportunity to write multiple new chapters of these beloved stories, delighting children and adults around the world for generation to come. Notes real to real quickly. Yeah. Centipede. Yeah. Giant tropical centipedes share their territories with tarantulas. Despite its impressive length, it's a nimble navigator, and some can be highly venomous. As quick as lightning. Just like the tarantula it's killing, the centipede has two curved, hollow fangs, which inject paralyzing venom. Even tarantulas aren't immune from an ambush. This centipede is a predator. I mean, it is, uh, hey, that's, that sounds kind of like a Halloweenish uh, uh, spooktober wait, kind of thing. Notes to editors. Excuse yeah, me. There. Sorry. Uh, completion of this transaction is subject to regulatory approvals and other customary closing conditions. Sorry, I had to have that after centipede, but uh, thoughts on all this? Uh, <laughs> it's weird because it's not a surprise, and yet it is. I mean, I guess it makes sense that somebody should be buying this whole thing. Yeah. But, uh... But why, though? Uh, well, I don't know. I mean, you know, my favorite thing he ever did was write the screenplay to Young mm -hmm. twice. Maybe this means they'll just readapt that movie. And then, yeah. like, you know, not really, because I Maybe, know that Bond rights are tied up. But, uh... But, yeah, I, um... This is what's so weird, and this happens over and over again. When you have these very idiosyncratic creators, Walt Disney... Roald Dahl. Dr. Seuss. Dr. Seuss. Um, 
I was thinking, well, even to an extent, he's still alive, but like George Lucas or like yeah. when you have people who um, Jim Henson was a big one. Yeah, I was oh, trying right. to think of, yeah. That you have these people that are, they create these very loved worlds that people love these characters from and all this. What happens when they quote pass away or in George Lucas's case move on? Yeah, you get what's essentially amounts to versions of fan fiction. Um, I mean, you could even talk about this with some roundabout way comic book characters too. I think this could fit into that. Um, that you honestly get more, less like sprinkle in that magic pixie dust or that whatever what, what into, into the mix yeah. like that magic. Um, but really, we're just retelling the same stories with a fresh coat of paint. Um, is ultimately what happens here. Um, and I'm not like some raw doll completionist, but undoubtedly, I mean, Willy Wonka or Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, James and the Giant Peach, Fantastic Mr. Fox, like all of these things have had very successful lives in the minds of the culture yeah, over the last right. several decades. Um, and it's just, and you know, something like um, Fantastic Mr. Fox, the movie that was directed by Wes Anderson in stop motion, mm-hmm is a really great example of someone taking something else, and it's not exactly their whole thing, but Wes, Ander- Wes Andersonizing in the whole thing, yeah. where it's like it feels like a really beautiful, strange, surreal marriage of these two yeah, things, right. you know? Um, and undoubtedly, I just feel as though Netflix's version of it is going to be a copy-and-paste, algorithmic yeah. version of trying to recreate all these things for... Right. The, quote, next generation of fans, you know. Yeah, because if they really wanted to do, and I don't know, I haven't read the original Charlie and Chocolate Factory or Charlie and the Glass Elevator or whatever, you know, those first two books. haven't read those, but if I had, I might would know whether or not the Wonka bars and Wonka tickets look like they do in Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. I don't know if they do. But the press release made a very big point about showing us that imagery to the point where I'm like, they're got a golden just... ticket. Yeah. <laughs> you already got a favorite song in that movie? Uh, probably Pure Imagination, gen- mm. genuinely. Yeah. Um, not so genuinely, probably Golden Ticket or Candyman. The Candyman can. Mm. And, um, but. That song was in the opening credits. Oh, yeah. Candyman. Or, Cheer up, Charlie. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> but, uh,. Anyway, you know, or I want it now. Oh, yeah. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. Uh, where are we at? Uh, uh, just dragging if, on this piece so, of trash so, idea. But anyway, it seems like that is just copying that imagery. Yeah. I don't know. Again, email us at Huffman Brothers, Huffman Brothers Productions. Productions at gmail.com. All you raw doll heads out there. Yeah. But it seems like it's just going to copy that. It's kind of like the thing about, you said this before, speaking of, we're going to be talking about him here in a little bit, Stephen King hating The Shining, right? Mm-hmm, yeah. The so, Stanley Kubrick right. version. Yet supporting Dr. Sleep, the movie version of his book. Well, he, he wrote the novel version. Right. And but then, being yeah. like, oh yeah, this is good, but it heavily traffics in the imagery of The Shining, the movie. Yeah. Not his version of Stephen King's The Shining on TV, the original one. Right. And it's like, it's clear do you like it or not? Uh, that, you're yeah. like making money on this, clearly, and liking it. So, you know, anyway, that's a complicated situation. Well, but, but this whole thing is, you've almost seen a version of it, even with Stephen King, who's obviously still very much alive and with us and making new things, um, with the uh, 
oh gosh, what's the show that the Hulu show? Uh, Castle Rock. Castle Rock. Yeah. That was an interesting example of like trying to, I guess, take, and I didn't even make it through the whole first season of that. No, I didn't either. Uh, like trying to take his stories and re-amalgamate them and mash them up together. You know, and it's weird because Stephen King has been around for so long already and is, again, still very much active and active presence. But we already know versions of this are going to happen in the decades to come after he's already passed on and when it comes, when, yeah. uh, when it, Oh Lord! Comes to it's taking it. And re- I like mean, said, yeah, yeah, but yeah, when he's really gone, who knows what'll happen? I mean, uh, and those rights are so probably all over the place, anyways. I would imagine. I don't even know how all that works. You're gonna have like the main character of Thinner and the dog in Cujo like fighting each other to death or something. You know, I guess like, this is I all mean, gonna. There's undoubtedly gonna be some shared universe of all this stuff. Well, this all is weird too because he shares his universe through the Dark Tower. That the Dark Tower ultimately links all of his works together. Oh yeah, I, I was you know. in my head transitioning and talking about back to Raw Doll too, but yeah, but oh, yeah, yeah, but very but yes. much that. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. So he already has done right. that. So yes, this I'm saying this Netflix ne- yes, thing right, is undoubtedly going to have yeah, these yeah, yeah. like you know connected things or whatever. So ooh, um, go down this little rabbit hole, Alice. Yeah. Except that I didn't write that like yeah. Raw Doll. <laughs> <laughs> But you tried to write it, Raul Dahl. Anyway. Raul Dahl, by the way, that name. He's British, isn't he? I think think he's English, so. Stupid idea. Yeah. Like, uh, why? And there was a second where we were genuinely confused. Wait a minute. Does this include the Timothy Chalamet, Levi's son? Yeah. uh, His biological son. Check the records. Uh, his Wonka version, the like Wonka origin story. I think that's being developed at Warner Brothers. By the way, uh, I want to make it clear now. I love Timothy Chalamet. He is my son. I don't want to see that movie. I do not want to see his version of Willy Wonka. It's going to be foolish. It's like watching your child fall down. It's like, you got to let them learn, but like, don't do that. And yeah. you're like, oh, God. Yeah. You know, it's like, oh, I can't, can't watch. Yeah. You know? And um, as someone, as two guys who are fans of Chalamet in general, um, and it's so early in his career, who yeah. knows? But, you know, and we'll see with Dune coming out very soon, but it's like him doing his version of something that was already done before, not so well, by the way, but by like the Kyle MacLachlan, David Lynch version. And now it's like, oh, do your version, which it should be said, Wonka's already been Run redone feet, once. Do your thing. Uh, I mean, already been done yeah. once with uh, Jonathan Dett and uh, Tim Burton's yeah. Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, which for all its problems was being its own thing in a lot of ways. That too. was more different than the original Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory in a lot of ways then it I mean it still used a lot of that imagery but it did work to do other things and try to be more of an adaptation of the book supposedly yeah. but yes but I really hope Chalamet doesn't get called into just doing these like check oh you gotta be in this blockbuster you gotta do this you know what I mean like I hope he doesn't get too caught up in that and it's too early to really tell but uh so yeah uh no why do we need any of this it's all garbage Moving on, a movie that is not garbage that we saw just this week we want to talk a little bit about. Deep Cover from director Bill Duke starring Lawrence Fishburne. Mm-hmm. Um, now, we're big fans of crime movies in general and have in recent little year plus been watching more like 90s, early 90s crime movies. Yeah. In particular, a lot of the Abel Ferrara stuff yeah. like King of New York, uh, Bad, Bad Lieutenant. Um and this certainly fits into that, though Bill Duke directed it. Uh, and then also, we just mentioned it earlier, but New Jack City. New Jack City yeah. also as well. 
Um, and I really love that generation of crime movie. It's uh, in many ways taking a lot of things about, again, earlier what we were mentioning, kind of the classic gangster genre of the like Warner Brothers films of the 30s and 40s and repurposing that, retooling that for kind of a newer, more hip-hop-fueled generation of the early 90s. How, for you, does Deep Cover fit into that kind of those tradition of films? Uh, those well, other than Bad stuff? Lieutenant, I think it's the best out agree. of those. Um, which, Bad Lieutenant and that, I think, are so close that I'm not really sure which is better. Um, I like Bad Lieutenant a little more, but... Um, I think, for me, I, think I like Bad Lieutenant a little more, and I think it's just a touch better... Mostly because of the lead performance from Harvey Keitel yeah. is genuinely right. this grand artistic statement of what a train wreck of an individual that is. Yeah. But also is trying to search some sense yeah. of redemption. And what too, I like you know? about both of those is that they're actually pretty archly moral and religious. Yeah. Even uh, Bad Lieutenant, even a little more than Deep Cover, yeah. and yet is even more immoral with its yeah. imagery. Um, yeah. But. Um, that deep cover also is a very like questions about you know the the uh, that one Clarence Williams the third who also passed away not too long ago rest in peace mm-hmm. um, character where he's like trying to he's like a cop but he's a priest yeah. or something it never yeah. really explained that yeah. but that he's constantly questioning Lawrence Fishburne like uh, are you a Christian or whatever and he's like no or whatever. But by the end, it's like, oh, maybe he is. I don't know. But anyway, yeah, I think, and with Bad Lieutenant also, are very, like I said, uh, moral movies, even in the midst of all this immorality that's going on. Um, Like I said, about redemption in that way. Uh, I mean, and and for me, I've always liked Lawrence Fishburne okay. I've never been that actually crazy about him. Um, I think he was good in the Matrix movies, and, you know, he's good very early on in Apocalypse Now, and... Uh, he's kind of transitioned now into being like, oh, he's in the John Wick movies, and he's in, just these very basic kind of whatever. He's in Predators. Uh, and Predators, yeah. yeah. Um, but I thought he was really great. And he's a little more toned down, especially compared to, like, King of New York, which is a really great performance, but it's just very over the top. Um, and in this, it's very serious. And some people would laugh at it, maybe, because it's almost too serious. But he, he just felt toned down in a way that I appreciated i think I, I wrote my review of it it kind of reminded me of like his narr and he narrates the movie yeah which i normally have problems with stuff like that in movies because it's trying to be this neo-noir like oh well let me tell you about this thing that happened when when she walked in yeah as uh <laughs> phil hartman once said um as chick hazard yeah um but the um you know a lot of these try to do that but this actually was interesting it i think i said let me find exactly what I said in my review. Let me promote myself a little bit. Uh, I want to remember exactly what it was I said, though. I said, uh, yeah, like Harrison Ford's bored monologues in Blade Runner, but distilled in motor oil and run through a cracked dictaphone. Like, it reminded me a lot of the kind of boredness of, you know, Harrison Ford's narr- uh narration for Blade Runner that he had to make that's not in other versions of the movie, like, but it was yeah. in the original theatrical cut that neither he or Ridley Scott wanted to do it, but the studio forced him to. But it's like that, but it's like actually uh, 
Good. Well, it has a like, world weariness know, about it, right. and it kind of knows the whole arc of the story. Even he's ahead of us, he, like right. he knows where the whole thing's going in a way that we don't. Right, and there's, so there's just this measured patience to the whole yeah. thing. Because not really because most narrations really are supposed to be that, but they rarely are. Yeah. Um, and I think that it really works. Where even something like uh, Goodfellas with Ray Liotta's narration in that, I don't think works as much as it should. Because it's trying to show off and be kind of glitzy yeah. and like, I had it all and now it's all over. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's well, also, trying to that be a narration little bit. In that movie, yeah. is a lot more reactive to what yes. is going on on screen right. directly. And Fishburne's in deep cover has this sense of again past tense removed. Like to he's the whole looking thing. at the whole story. Right. Like he's yeah. seen it all in one kind of tapestry rather than like going through like beat for beat a yeah. museum piece right, or something. Right. Like you're going through different. So like. In that sense, I mean, that sounds like just one random thing to talk about, but I think that's one thing that works about it. Well, it's very his, memorable. Yeah, yeah and uh, well, also and the I, pairing of him and Jeff Goldblum in the movie is a very yeah, odd. And that's one of the weirdest Jeff Goldblum pairing, performances. Yeah. In fact, maybe probably the weirdest Jeff Goldblum performance. We're just saying something. Well, that's just not a type a of movie weird guy, he's normally so, in because right. you normally associate him being in something kind of like a, a sci-fi movie, whether it be like Jurassic Park or. Invasion of the Body Snatchers, The Fly, or like, uh, or even like the more recent Thor movie. Yeah. Um, and it's all about his weirdness, but but it's like that in the midst of this gritty crime movie, which is not normally and the he's environment like, you see him in. And it's funny because he's just like kind of like a lawyer who happens lawyer, to be yeah. a drug dealer, and it, so, it keeps escalating. Right. Yeah. So he has this like you know. Uh, cachet to himself but yeah and he's really weird but it's in these ways that aren't like they normally are like in Jurassic Park um, which is only a year after this interestingly um my favorite scene was where he's making that guy jump out of the car. Oh, yeah. And he's like adios <laughs> get the blank out like you know he keeps like yelling at him uh yeah that's a that's an interesting performance but yeah and uh as far as the direct I mean the direction was amazing. I really always loved Bill Duke um, as an actor, um, really great in Commando and uh, Predator, which are movies that are kind of eh, you know. But he's really good in them. In a little bit, I mean, him and Predator, anytime kind of voice. I know, you know that uh, there's a great really little um, director too. Is it there's a out? great little AFI conversation. I think it was from like 2018 with Elvis Mitchell was the guy who was interviewing uh, Fishburne and Duke, um, and. I had no idea that like Duke had that much experience directing a lot of TV before that yeah. point, and that um, working in TV and doing these quick setups and getting things done super quick because you just got to like really sharpen his sense of a director. And there's a whole generation of yeah. directors that come from a similar background. Richard Donner, we talked about in the past. And Sidney Lumet, uh, Sidney Lumet, a little bit too. Yeah. So. Um, and yeah, it makes you honestly want to go out and seek more Bill Duke movies because yeah. he's. Uh, and it's just got this, you know, because it feels contemporary to King of New York or to um, New Jack City. But all three of those, what I love about them is that they're very clearly made from a particular director. And all three of them have these very particular colors they work with. Even looking at Lawrence Fishburne's performance also, I mean, you think about him in King of New York versus him in this. I mean, it's worlds apart yeah. and different characters and performances yeah and a good example of like oh he's like uh you know actor of color at that time you only get so many shots to be quote the lead of a movie and you're playing like a 
quote, ethnic uh, criminal part, but even within that, he just is able to, he's such a good yeah. actor. He can it kind of reminds me of like of a both of those characters. alternate turned on its head version of it. I mean, it just came out, but uh, Red, White, and Blue, the uh, uh, Steve McQueen yeah. film part of the Small Axe movies, which there's nothing wrong with. It's quite good, especially for, you know, something John Boyega's in. Um, but, you know, <laughs> no offense, but I mean, you know, Sorry, uh, and the, he's, uh, he's good in the movie. I, he's fine, you know, but, uh, that, that movie is all about, you know, this kind of sense of betrayal of a, a black man becoming a Bobby, you yeah. know, and like that it's a racist system and it's like, why are you part of that? Whereas in this, it's kind of about that, but it, it asks some of those questions, but it's far less obvious about it. While also just being a better, kind yeah. of more fun... I mean, I know they're two totally different things, yeah, right. but, like, you know, that just reminded me of that. But in many ways, that the system is turning him into the type of person that it wants to get rid of. And it's just right. the contradictions inherent yeah. to and that. And the, the movie figures... It's, and he figures himself out by the end of the movie, so, like, it's fine. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah. I mean, it's, it's good. Great so, movie. Uh, yeah. I don't know if it's streaming on Criterion Channel right now. I know it recently came out on the Blu-ray, uh, you know, through the Criterion Collection, uh, Blu-ray and DVD. So if you have a chance, uh, check it out. I know that it was always kind of a, it was always kind of had fell by the wayside, and it was yeah. in recent years it's kind of gained more and more of a cult following. But uh, yeah, terrific stuff. Yeah. So on to our Spooktober spectacular. Dun dun dun. So, Creep Show from 1982. Um, and there's a lot of things to talk about with this movie because this movie involves a lot of moving parts and a lot yeah. of things we're interested in. So, Levi, give us a rundown of what this movie's deal is. All right. Creep Show is a 1982 American horror comedy anthology film directed by George A. Romero and written by Stephen King, making this film his screenwriting debut. That's also important to note. Um, so... I guess I can go through the... Well, I can talk kind of about... It's an anthology yeah. movie, It's and we can talk more about this later. It's based on that kind of EC Comics, which, uh, don't forget, was... Uh, uh, Roger Ebert mentioned this. Mm -hmm. I knew this was what's called originally educational comics. <laughs> yeah, providing education, education all so, right. Yeah, yeah, that's what he said. But, um, they, yeah, they're, it's just like these five different stories that I'm pretty sure... Um, yeah, they're, they're actually kind of original stories, um, that are that are kind of based in ideas yeah. about what type the are, versions of yes, stories they're like told, homages right? to those stories. So they are they actually are original. I didn't get a chance um, to look at the whole production history of this movie. How did this whole thing start? I'm see. wondering. I'm gonna go uh, and in see. terms of well, also it's important to note that one of the stories I'll go ahead and say the lonesome death of Jordy Verrill was actually based on a short story that Stephen King wrote called Weeds. Yeah. Um, the production, it doesn't say here on Wikipedia about how it all came together because I kind of wondered about that also. Um, but I know that it says, it, it said at the top that actually, and of course we're going to talk about that Stephen King is in the movie as an actor. We'll talk about that later. But that his actual first acting debut was in the George Romero movie Night Riders just a year before this. Oh, so they... Um, they... I don't know if they met with that, but they right. certainly knew each other yeah. at least that far back. Um, which, yeah. by the way, I don't know if you've ever seen this or not, and I don't remember the year. I'm going to have to look it up. That There was this kind of horror fiction or horror uh, media summit on Dick Cavett that had, like, George Romero, Stephen King, Peter Straub, and Ira Levin 
and they're all smoking the whole time. I've Funny seen enough, there's but, some old talk show um, clip I've seen before. I think it was uh, John Landis, John Carpenter. Yeah, now that was uh, yeah with Mick Garris. Maybe Cronenberg that. too. Yeah, uh, I've seen that. Uh, but yeah, Mick yeah. Garris. Let me look up. No, I don't think I've ever seen moment. that before. Um, and obviously, while you're looking that up, I mean, at this particular moment, Stephen King was, 1980. I mean, uh, so they would have met, yeah, before then. So um, Stephen King was literally the guy for whole. Yeah. I mean, and not much has changed in all these years, but like, um, he was on the top of the world in terms of his books being ultra successful. Even if he didn't like the movies themselves, yeah. them certainly being successes and m- making money and right. certainly making money more money yeah. for him. Too. So therefore, that it all started on their shared love of that. I guess yeah. I'm not really sure. Well, how certainly it you know, started, but you know, in the '80s in general, we've talked about this a little bit even with Clue. Um, you're starting to see more, and you know, thing the way nostalgia works, it usually works in 30, 40 year cycles. At this time, there was a lot of '50s nostalgia and yeah. across the board in the culture. I mean, Ronald Reagan was president for right. crying out loud. So, yeah. um, this whole idea of going back to the past, uh, and certainly to make a creep show movie at this point that was taking from that EC Comics yeah. lore certainly felt right for the time. Right. Um. So yeah, we'll talk more about that as we go along. But we'll go ahead and start with the cast. So. Obviously, there are five. Well, should we talk about? I guess the stories you're doing. Yeah, well, just overall. So there's a framing device. I guess we should. So there's a framing device at the beginning about this little boy who's wanting to read his basically EC comp book called Creepshow. It's basically similar to that. And actually, we'll go. We'll well, we'll talk about that in a minute about who the kids actually play by. I didn't know this until now. Um, But that yeah, the father throws it away in the trash can, um, and that basically the whole thing is like the wind is flipping through the comic yeah. book and it goes to these different, basically, stories that are in it, and there's yeah. five of them. First one's called Father's Day. Second one's called The Lonesome Death of Jordy Verrill. Third one is Something to Tide You Over. Fourth one is The Crate, and the fifth and final one is They're Creeping Up on You. And then, yeah, I don't remember exactly what had happened but the, uh, at the end, but the epilogue, um, the dad gets killed or something or maybe it had happened earlier than that that the revenge happens to the dad or something uh dad's but dad's drool boys yeah. rule you know like the um, whole vibe but uh yeah anyway i don't remember exactly how that but so the stories we had said this kind of last week overall all of them are really pretty good the only one that we're not that crazy about is father's day the first one that's really basic and uh, also i've I kind of always thought that, and then reading the reviews, can be and yeah. Ebert, they both kind of singled that one right. out as a more disposable yeah. one. But so we'll go through the cast here. Um, for the prologue and epilogue, Joe King is Billy Hopkins. That's his Stephen King's son, who's the writer Joe Hill. Oh, um, okay, I yeah. didn't know was his name. Uh-huh. Uh But um, or that's who that was. Right. Now that I see it. I saw it earlier. Yeah. We were watching somebody. I was like, oh, yeah, I guess that is him. But that's, yeah, I so didn't that's know that. interesting that he's in this movie. Um, but yeah, we can talk about that more later. As Billy Hopkins. Yeah. Um, Which sounds I, like a very Stephen King yeah, kid right. character name. Ava Jean Sar- Saracini. As Billy's mother, she doesn't have a Wikipedia page. I'm not sure. but And then add the father, uncredited, which I find hard to believe, is Stan Hopkins, Tom Atkins. 
um, who's been in a lot of different movies. Um, he has worked with Shane Black, William Peter Blatty, John Carpenter, Fred Deckard, Richard Donner, Stephen King, and George Romero. A lot of horror um, stuff. Then, yeah. So, yes, he was in The Fog, uh, The Night Configuration, Escape from New York, Creep Show, Halloween 3, Season of the Witch, Night of the Creeps, Lethal Weapon, Maniac Cop, Two Evil Eyes, Bob Roberts, Striking Distance, My Bloody Valentine 3D, Drive Angry, Encounter, Drive Angry 3D. and Trick. Drive Angry was also in there. Oh, it was? Okay, yeah. I guess it wasn't part of the name, though. Let's see if there's any other movies here. Um, that's pretty much all the big ones, but yeah, that... Um, Lethal Weapon. He's been in a lot of horror that. movies around that time, and John Carpenter stuff, and yeah. uh, I said, and... Uh, just looks like, I mean, no, no offense to him, just generic white guy to yeah. throw in situation, yeah. you know what I mean? So, um, And then Marty Schiff and Tom Savini is Garbage Man 1 and 2, of course, Tom Savini did all the special effects for this movie, also, which are really good, um, as always. But of course, a big. Uh, but he obviously you know, famously worked on. Yeah, Dawn. he didn't do Night of the Living Dead. No, did he? but he did Dawn, Dawn and did... Day of the Dead, okay. both of which are very impressive. Yeah. Funnily enough, he's always said about Day of the Dead that he read the screenplay for that. You know, the full because that movie's going to be like three hours long or something. It's supposed to be really long, and that he said that that would have been like you know the. Uh, I don't remember what he did, but the Gone with the Wind of like. <laughs> zombie movie that it was like really ambitious and was yeah. supposed to be really big and I feel like there's parts of that that still remain in that movie but we'll get to that movie someday um so yeah that stuff is an interesting kind of part of the movie you know good thing to start and end the movie whatever yeah. you know kind of like Twilight Zone yeah right uh so with Father's Day uh we've got John Lormer um who was in a lot of TV stuff it looks like Star Trek Twilight Zone Perry Mason Peyton Place uh Let's see if there's other stuff here. Anything random? No, it's partial uh, filmography. And it's like Tales of Wells Fargo. Always to, love to see that yeah. show up. The Singing Nun. <laughs> uh, that's that. Sally Field. Yeah. Well, that was a show. Well, it was, it was a the... TV show in uh, Italy, I think, too. At one point. Anyway, I'm thinking the Flying Nun. I think. Oh no, that's one. I'm th- yeah. I'm getting those yeah. confused. Anyways, uh. He's like this old guy who dies and or something, and the family's wanting his money, and then he, he comes becomes back like a zombie, whatever, basically. Yeah. So Vivica him. Lynn Fors is also in that. I've seen her in certain things. Let's see what they are. Um, some movies here. Man, she's in a lot of stuff. Uh, selected filmography, and there's this much. Yeah. Um, Dark City, not the new Dark City, but the one from the fifties. Um. Naked City. Naked City, yeah. Tempest, Rawhide, uh, The Untouchables. Well, Naked City TV show, actually. I thought it yeah. was the movie. But yeah. um, 12 O'Clock Kai Bonanza, The FBI, Diary of Anne Frank, Cauldron of Blood. Never heard of that. Um, Welcome to L.A. That's that uh, Alan Rudolph uh-huh. movie. Uh, Voices. Oh, that was something else I was thinking of. Uh, a wedding, yeah, I remember her in that. Oh, I was trying okay, to think. I knew yeah. it was something we had seen. Girlfriends, also before that. Yeah. Um, Dynasty, yeah. So, don't remember. Yeah, I, I'll stuff. be, and I'll say this is only going to be my second time watching the movie. So there's certain actors in this I don't remember. Uh, I'll skip through some of these a little quicker. Ed Harris is in this. Is one of the sons, I think, uh-huh. or something, uh, or nephews or something like that. John Amplos is Nathan's corpse. Yeah, he was in uh, other uh, 
Romero films, uh, Dawn of the Dead, Martin, other yeah. stuff. Okay, so jump into Lonesome Death of Jordy Verrill, Stephen King as the titular Jordy Verrill, mm-hmm. and Bingo O'Malley as his that character's father and the doctor. What do you have to say about Stephen King's performance in this movie? I think there's a lot to say that... I think worked. sometimes it gets criticized, but all I'll say is I think he knows exactly what he's in yeah. and is playing to that, and I think pretty funny. And it reflects his weird sense of humor that I, obviously yeah, I, it is yeah. reflective in his books. I know I I'm mean, a Stephen King fan, but I think it's actually really good. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, I think he's a very funny guy, and he's channeling a lot of that in there. Uh because you know he gets that stigma as being all this weird, and he is a you know pretty weird enough guy. Yeah, I mean who isn't? I guess, but um, that yeah, I think it's really funny, but uh, and a kind of sad performance in certain ways, just because the guy's very <laughs> yeah, like you know, it's, it's unfortunate. Sad. It makes me laugh, but he's like he's kind of a punching bag for the movie. And yeah, that's something that's I think true for a lot of these whole EC comic style of storytelling that this movie reflects is sometimes the sense of cruelty that it inflicts on its subjects and yeah. I know that a lot of people said oh they're like telling the morality stories and like yeah. and I think that's true but sometimes I think that's true of horror in general as a genre but I think especially this mode of horror is that it's like look at these look at these dummies and like they're like morality being falling in on itself and them being the subject of their own faults or frailties right. or whatever and there sometimes is a sense of cruelty that comes with that towards the characters, but I think his is so he's so goofy and funny that it just it just works for what it is right. for me. Yeah, but. it's also important to note that um, there's multiple things here I want to talk about. First of all, that this story and his short story, of course, have to be uh, inspired by Color Out of Space. The uh, H.P. Lovecraft story is very much similar to this. Also, the lonesome death of Jordy Verrill instead of the lonesome death of Hattie McCarroll. Yeah, that's um, clearly a reference. But she's yeah. a Bob Dylan fan, so, yeah. you know, whatever. Um, Something to tide you over, that's the other section. Um, this is probably the single most star-studded one. Yeah, with uh, Leslie people. Nielsen, Galen Ross, and Ted Danson, and Richard Gere as man on TV. Uncredited. Right. Um, but, yeah, this one... And do we say? I guess the last one we basically did. We say anything about what the last one was about? Actually, well, it was just like a like a, a farmer meteor, meteor crashes, and there's this like weird plant that takes over everything, kind of like kudzu. Yeah. So whatever. So this one, it's like about uh, this cuckolded man who's like basically planning to kill his wife and her lover yeah. by burying them in the sand uh, on the beach, and yeah. then it comes in, and then. Something supernatural happens at yeah. the end. Um, but yeah, so Leslie Nielsen, what do you think about him in this performance that you remember of him? Well, again, he's the perfect type of person to me to put in this. And I think, I frankly, what I remember him in this, I think he should have done more horror. Yeah. And because yeah. he's like somebody that we see and you instantly want to laugh because you're thinking about Airplane or the Naked Gun movies later on. But There's like, a certain chaos to his aura, though, that right. I think works No, for exactly. Horror, it's yeah. just that he could... He's just this very disorienting figure when he's all of a sudden this horror villain. And, like, I think he should have, frankly, that was an underserved aspect of him that could have been more utilized in other things. But he's really good in this. Um, Galen Ross, she was uh, in, uh, yeah, Dawn of the Dead. She was, like, the main female lead in that. I always thought she was really good in that movie. And I, I don't remember her as much in this, but I'm sure she's great because she normally is. Let me see if there's some other things she's in here. 
Not much. Um, not really. Yeah, she's mostly independent. So she's actually directed some stuff. movies. Yeah, it looks like. Yeah, she actually directed quite a few movies, it looks like. Uh, recently a movie called Beijing Spring, which is a documentary about the... Um, yeah, basically like uh, free speech in China. So, okay. um, but yeah, uh, and then of course Ted Danson, who's been in everything. Uh, you've been yeah, watching we, Cheers. You yeah, have anything to say about him. Uh, well, we also recently saw Body Heat. You know, we oh, that's about right. In the he was past, in that. And he yeah. was in that. Yeah. Uh, it is always weird not to see him uh, behind a bar, uh, just because he's yeah. so good at playing the and the lead on that show. That, uh, but he also there is a certain confidence and sliminess to him that cheers deconstructs but he that makes for a good facile quick version of that yeah, kind of guy right. with this yeah. movie I yeah think, i agree you know um so the so oh and then richard gear will like i don't know what you have to say about him i mean he's barely in the movie i guess well in general about richard gear he's someone that i want to watch a lot more stuff of because i found him to be a particularly interesting uh male white male lead for a long time yeah. i mean most memorably in days of heaven i mean he's you really remember there was that, that movie but... they made a couple years ago that was basically chappaquiddick but not you remember that uh there's the well there's like that official chappaquiddick movie yeah but made. it was that movie uh i'm gonna try to find it here because i always like to laugh whenever i think about it uh arbitage Oh, it was yeah. like this thriller, and it was basically like, oh, he gets uh, crashes a car and some. I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, that or like political yeah. guy. In yeah, trouble, it's like, like a crime drama yeah. or something. Anyway, there's like a car crash or something. But yeah, what I've seen of Richard Gere, I've liked. Yeah. Um. So moving on to the crate. Uh, this is probably my favorite one of the group. Um, just this because, is a, frankly the one I don't remember all that well uh, um, compared to some of these other ones, so I'll be interested. To well, maybe it. I won't like it as much either this time, but I I remember it being really good. But it, Hal Holbrook as uh, Henry Northrup, um, Adrian Barbeau as Wilma, Billy Northrup his wife in it, and then Fritz Weaver, who's in a lot of different stuff, but Marathon Man uh, and Failsafe are yeah. kind of two of the main things I think of, and then he's in a lot of TV, um, but. This all basically, I think they they described it as like, who's afraid of Virginia Woolf with yeah. like a Yeti in it, more or less. <laughs> so like, the whole thing's, I, I really like the atmosphere of it. That it's like based on this like college campus where there's like these two uh, professors know about some crate in the basement behind these stairs that they never yeah. open. And basically it has this monster in it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that it's also about like kind of this like love triangle that's going on or something with all them, and uh, I, I don't remember exactly what the details are. Well, again, but... that that the whole love triangle this goes back to this like uh, morality of some of yeah. these things is like oh people sinning or like it's it's like yeah. a very almost old fashioned way of like oh you're doing wrong and right. you're immoral and so yeah. we're gonna hit you and punish you. You right. know what I mean? Is yeah. like very much a part of this yeah. moralistic thing. And again, what's interesting is that you know. The EC comics of the fifties, uh, you know, obviously were very controversial in their day, and a lot of them got canceled. And the Comics Code Authority came right. about as a result of that. That while I understand some of the brutal imagery, and you see some of the old stuff, you're like, "Why is this in front of no, kids' I mean, eyes?" I, I can't. Mean, but I said it last week. It's good that they got rid of that stuff, honestly, because it's interesting. But like, we don't need to be having that. Oh, that kids and you know, see that stuff. I think like, this is a, it's and this this is true of horror in general. I think not just this, but like 
what's the line between well actually if you look at the messages it's actually a very conservative message in terms of its interpretation of morality or yeah. like uh, punishing people right. in very harsh ways or is that just merely a facile excuse to a second time I said facile that's third now mm-hmm. uh that's where the day i guess uh or is it just a blanket excuse to well if you have this quote message to you rip can just somebody really apart. rip somebody right. apart and who yeah. cares and i feel like the horror genre in general is constantly trying to weigh that yeah uh how much do we want to quote say it tell a message versus do we just want to rip somebody's lungs right. out you know what i mean yeah yeah um so yeah, the moralistic I agree. kind of thing. So, what you do you know? think? Uh, any thoughts about how Holbrook? He recently passed away. Really, um, he's someone I've always thought a lot of. Um, the most, the biggest thing I first think of him in, and everybody has their things. Uh, think of him a lot as Preston Blair in Lincoln. He's really great in yeah. that role. And actually, I didn't even really know this till he had died, and I was reading some of the New York Times obituaries and stuff about him. That he had had made a whole career of like performing these on stage monologues over many, many years as uh, Lincoln himself, but also a lot as Mark Twain, who I didn't really know about. He looks like uh, Mark Twain, yeah. And that he did a lot of stage shows that were based out of his writings and stuff, these one-man monologues, which I'd be very fascinated to see. Um, And also, like, it gets brought up a lot, but especially after he passed, but he's only in, like, um, Into the Wild for, like, Ten or fifteen minutes, the but Sean that's Penn film. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but uh, that is just one of the most memorable, gut wrenching, heartbreaking, beautiful performances I've ever seen mm-hmm. for an actor that's only in it for that long. And it's a really great, just old man performance yeah. in that movie. Um, and that's the thing I've only ever really known him, especially as an old man, in terms of uh, yeah. when I've been paying attention to movies. But I mean, obviously, I think most people associate him with um, all the presidents' men. Deep, uh, throat. deep throat in yeah, that. Mark um, yeah, and then also speaking of you know genre stuff here, the fog. He has a yeah. role yeah, in that as in well. That. Yeah, uh, and he he's just really like a, good in that. And he just seems like a guy he can like do something really big and artistic, and then he's not afraid to do like a horror movie either. Yeah. He, he could really do anything. It seems right. like, and uh, yeah. nothing even too. He was even in the Sopranos for like an yeah. episode. Yeah. Uh, sharing a room with like Tony Soprano and yeah. uh, Big Tone and. Uh, that like rapper that was also in yeah. there and they're watching a fight together yeah. and he was talking about like philosophy and all this stuff. Yeah. Just, so love Hal Holbrook and anything he's ever been in. He's yeah. really great. Um, yeah. So, and again, like I said, can do about anything. Yeah. He can be in this or he can be in like Lincoln. You know and what, what about Adrian Barbeau? I mean, she's been in so many horror movies and genre stuff. She was also in the fog, um, and escape from New York. Um, but that, let's see what some other stuff is. Uh, Cannonball Run, The Thing is well, the computer was a voice, voice in Scooby Doo Zombie Island. Um, Zombie Island. Yeah, looks like she did do some Demolition uh, Man. Yeah, uh, that 2007 Halloween. Actually, it was cut and okay. then put in it because I was gonna say I don't remember in that Argo. I forgot she was in that. But yeah, yeah, she's good. Yeah, yeah, she's been in a lot of different stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, Fantasy Island. I don't know if she was on. But anyway, yeah, I think, I mean, she fits in with a lot of these filmmakers of being in these types of movies, so she's good. Yeah. Uh, I said Fritz Weaver, um, got a lot of TV and movies, you know, Twilight Zone. Feel safe, you said, yeah. X-Files. Oh, that's what I was trying to think of. We wa- I think we watched a Twilight Zone here a while back that he was on. Um, let me see which one it was. Let's see. Let's see. Yeah, Third from the Sun. 
Uh-huh. You remember we watched that here a while back, and he was in that. That's what I was See, he's also in another one. I yeah, the Obsolete on. Man. Yeah. Um, Never seen that one. But, yeah. But. Uh, so, yeah, then jumping over to the last one. This, I think, is the one I think of the most, and I think is the most interesting and the most disgusting mm-hmm. of the group, is they're creeping up on you, which is basically about this really rich, everybody compared to like Howard Hughes, mm-hmm. this, like, really rich, greedy scumbag who's, like, a clean freak who lives in this, like, uh, climate-controlled uh, penthouse apartment in New York City. Um played by E.G. Marshall, uh, who's, uh, he's the only person actually in the, the whole thing, yeah. but there's a lot of people talking to him on the phone. Um, David Early being one of those, and then Ned Beatty okay. as the voice of Bob Bean, uncredited. <laughs> okay. um, so we'll have to we'll keep an eye out, them out for that. But E.G. Marshall, of course, the most famous thing I remember him being in was uh, 12 Angry Men. He was on a lot of TV in the 50s and 60s, because he's in that, actually, that one thing that was uh, shown on Mad Men, or it's like, Mr. Mason, where it's oh, like yeah. talking about abortion or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was in um, uh, Images, or not Images, uh, what's that movie? Interiors. Right. Um, the, uh, I also Reality. forgot, I was just looking, he, yeah, I forgot he's the president in Superman 2. Uh, oh really? He's like not in that a yeah, whole whole. He's lot, been in a lot of stuff. Uh, really hilarious performance. Like John Mitchell in Nixon recently, we saw for the oh, first time. Oh, that's right. Yeah, because I thought I'd seen him in yeah. something. Yeah, but he's really funny in this really crass, vulgar, angry man <laughs> uh, who's like dread. Is like his hair looks really ridiculous, and he's got on this like blue bathrobe and these yeah. like uh, gloves, and he's just yeah, and basically cockroaches come in and eat him alive. <laughs> So fun stuff. Yeah. But uh yeah, so that's that's it with the segments and the cast. Pretty big cast. Obviously, usually these types of movies can get a lot of different people. Yeah, and that's where I wanted us to transition to yeah. is uh and, and kind of this anthology horror movie. And cause anthology horror movies, uh you now again, you've seen some from the seventies. And I want you yeah. to talk about that a little bit. Uh uh Tales from the Crypt. Yeah, the Tales movie, from the Crypt and, and then Vault also of Horror. Vault of Horror. Yeah. Those are all right. They're the first versions of that to happen. They were actually British movies. Um then they there was kind of a whole mini franchise of movies where they did those and then they did like uh, Asylum and Torture Garden and some of those other movies that came out of that. That were yeah, essentially taking stories like that and uh What do you think about it, uh the anthology format makes it applicable to horror so easily or quickly uh, i guess it's because um i don't know i think first of all that think about the fact you know that there aren't very many long horror movies yeah it's very rare for something like well, that it's like, again it's like comedies comedies traditionally because are not longer these than things two hours. you cannot sustain so therefore maybe it's the idea that it's, it's like quick, why they it's like building a quick sensation yes, and, and maybe it's done. like I mean, I don't know why they make movies like Movie 43, I guess. It's like because you can, as a comedy... It's like a one-off joke or a one-off scare. You just do that really quickly because you can contain it all. Um, I guess that's why. I mean, part of it is honestly because of the influence of these EC comics that they were able to do that. I mean, comic books in general. Because they wanted to, you know, fill the pages with multiple things because, frankly, it's kind of a trashy medium. You can't really come up with, like, 
you know, war and peace here. You just got to kind of do what you got to do and get the cool thing on the page, you know, or get the cool, scary thing made. It's more about the aesthetic than it is about the yeah. story, so therefore I think it applies itself to that. Um, and it course, gives it this, this bite-sized quality that, like, another thing is, too, that if you if you don't like that segment, then the next one's yeah, coming up. Right. And, you know, can and, it, and it's the same itself. thing with Twilight Zone. Uh, is similar with science fiction and horror stuff there. And then, of course... Uh, a version of this that would finally get made is with uh, Tales from the Crypt TV show. I want to jump back real quickly to the, that first Tales from the Crypt movie in Vault of Horror before I talk about that, though, is that original, first of all, one segment of that was the very famous Robert Zemeckis second episode of the Tales from the Crypt show about the uh, Santa Claus that escapes from the mental institutions like going on a killing like spree. That, that was actually in that movie. Mm-hmm. That same story was adapted. And it's obviously a 1970s version of that. It's very toned and down. don't forget it playing in the background of uh, Lethal Weapon 2, which Richard Donner oh, also directed. Right. Yeah, uh, you're talking about the new version. While they're version. waiting to see the commercial right. of the daughter, of uh, Danny Glover's daughter who did like a condom commercial, I think it was, yeah. or something like that. And that's uh, playing in the background like, Oh, let's get around and watch that. Blah, blah, yeah, because that know. movie is a Christmas movie, funny enough, also. Um, the, well, well, around Christmas, one, I should is say. Is it still? I know the first one was. Oh, it, that I was in really the second one? I think the second one was. Oh, okay. Well, then remember. that's even funnier than yeah. that. But, um, yeah, so... Um, anyway, so... But with those original movies, what I like about those, those uh, Tales from Crypt and Vault of Horror, is that they have a lot of really great imagery in them like horror imagery like there's that one about that guy who has a car crash and then it becomes like a pov shot of him walking around and people like scared of him or whatever and then he comes in to his house and stares down at like it's one of the most impressive shots in any movie honestly i've ever seen where he stares down at like uh the coffee table which is like made of glass so it's like a reflection and you see his like face and he like screams and it's like a genuinely really scary impressive moment in a movie so i think that's what ultimately to say about some of these movies that is the genre anthology stuff is it's able to get off a lot of these like really quick yeah. and impressive scares or ideas uh, that wouldn't like, normally like, yeah or ideas, ideas that work as like short stories and maybe fit, not that something. wouldn't fit into a larger movie right um but so as tales from the crypt the tv show which ultimately uh, this is very much tied to i think you know in a lot of ways um, is a show I want to keep giving, you know, benefit of the doubt. And what, I've watched the first two seasons, and it's not, it's really a not good show. Yeah. There are good episodes, but it's like a lot of these, you know, uh, anthology story formats where it's like there's some that are good, but a lot of them aren't. In this movie, though, and we'll talk about why this one works, I guess, later, but in this one, I feel like a lot of them are better than not, which is kind of rare, but that's also because you're getting Stephen King and George Romero to actually do it, not uh, Robert Zemeckis and Richard Donner and and uh, Walter Hill or whoever, right. you know. Um, but was it Walter Hill that was behind that, wasn't it? There were a lot of... Yeah, I can't quite remember. I want to see who all produced that, because it was like a lot of people. Um, well... Hang on. No, yeah. And David Geiler and Walter Hill and Joel Silver. Yeah. Yeah. All kind of produced that. But, yeah, I mean, do you have any opinions as it comes from Crypt? I've not seen nearly as much as you have. Uh, I remember in the 90s, in the background, that kind of being a cultural thing. uh, And I might have, like, called an episode here or there when we had HBO back in the 90s before we got rid of it and then we got it back again now. But, um, yeah, um, 
it's just again anthology in general is a mixed bag of a format because i think the promises of it are cool but the reality of it is oftentimes neutered or um you know getting by just to get by and people love the idea of it but aren't necessarily yeah fully involve the execution yeah. of it in the way that and, it, and that show that and that show's trying to do what this is ultimately doing and what the ec comics is it's trying to be kind of funny but also that show was a big deal i know when it came out because it was extremely violent yeah, for, for that, tv yeah, that day, yeah. um and now it's still there's some stuff in it that is still really bad but it's not as bad now but it's right. still there's still some stuff i've seen from that show that is really far um but that I think that that's what people like about this sort of thing is the kind of cheapness and the comic bookness of it where it's kind of funny but it's kind of scary and it has this kind of moral message. Um, but as far as other anthology stuff that was made later on, I mean, um, you know, you've seen more of this stuff than me but these newer movies like Trick or Treat or VHS. I think Trick or Treat and, is really yeah. good and um, I've only seen it once and it was years ago. Uh, so I'd like to see it again, but that is one that is like trafficking and what this some of this stuff is trying to be. But I think taking the next logical step in terms of making it, frankly, more intense and quote more scary. And I think you mentioned this last week. I mean, the tagline for this movie is the most fun you'll ever have being scared. Yeah. Um, and it kind of is enjoying some of the campiness of it and not trying to be ultra scary. Um, and not to say that like something like Trick or Treat is trying to be ultra yeah. scary, but. It is trying to be more genuinely grab you by the throat at some point yeah. and like be something that gets under your skin a little more, right? Um, as opposed to trying to have a quote moral morality message and that being as much a part of it in some ways as the horror is. But yeah. that's a really good version of it. Um, I'd like to see that again. VHS. Um, I saw the first one and my memories. That's kind of sketchy, and I kind of like the. Uh, the I, you know, the framing device yeah. behind that movie is kind of cool, where it's these people breaking into a house, and they're literally like putting in these random VHS tapes they're finding in the midst of robbing the house and the hor the random horrors that they're yeah. uncovering. And right. I, I really like the idea of that. And as is the case with most of this stuff, some of them are kind of good and some of them are kind of forgettable or whatever. And it uses VHS as a format to try to augment yeah. that. Um, they made like a one or two sequels, and I don't really haven't seen those i don't think um but again it's something that i would still recommend people to check out if they're interested in this stuff um there was even a creep show too which we haven't even seen yeah that. and then there's a tv show now too i think uh past that yeah and then there was a creep show three so yeah there were a bunch of sequels to these um there's even the also show. you mentioned it earlier in passing the twilight zone movie which yeah. is uh not exactly horror but is like in the sci-fi horror realm-ish, I guess you could say, um, in terms of adapting the Twilight Zone. Right. Uh, and that, that the whole appeal of that was having all these big directors come in and do a version yeah. of, the, of the Twilight Zone or whatever. Right. So, I guess we can kind of talk about why this kind of works and, you know, we kind of said it already, but part of it is that you've got George Romero and Stephen King actually yeah, making and, this you know, stuff. You know. um, I think really the only person to rival George Romero for me in a serious way in terms of this era of he worked in was maybe Wes Craven to me. I think yeah. I might like a little better. 
But what George Romero really gets, you can go back even to that first Night of the Living Dead, is it is kind of this sense of pulpiness and this kind of, you know, barely getting it done type of filmmaking, and it kind of is living on the margins. But the ideas in those zombie movies that he made are very rich and very yeah. still, still much very rele- relevant and last generations, even though they still are very much tied to their time. In the same way, King also operates in the kind of whole like paperback horror writer. He's a such a big deal now. He's so ubiquitous that people, I think, take for granted his styles and his gifts as a storyteller yeah. or how good he is at writing. Um, and then they make for a very good match. And I yeah. think I would have actually liked to have seen King even have written a feature length screenplay, original screenplay for Romero to have made. Yeah. I think because that would have been good. Never, I think, frankly, yeah. that would have been good for both of them because yeah. Romero is, while he was a pretty great filmmaker in his own way, is mostly associated with making these zombie movies, most of which are good that he's made, but still. Yeah. Um, King, on the other hand, too, as far as his film work, is more memorable or iconic for having been adapted by big filmmakers, whether they be Kubrick, whether they be Cronenberg, De Palma. And, you know, this would be a chance for you to maybe offer up a take on Maximum Overdrive, which he, you know, very famously wrote and directed. Um, as a yeah. King fan, as a cinephile, where does Maximum Overdrive fit into you in both the medium of film, but also in the Stephen King oeuvre? Well, it's not good, so let's go ahead and say that. Yeah. But I love it. I mean, it's <laughs> hilarious. I think it's it, a good distillation of his yeah. sense of humor. Yeah, and I think things. it, well, and I think it, Believe it or not, you might you might not believe this. I don't know, but the actual short story trucks that that's based on is actually good for what it is. It it tries harder to make it a little more serious. Yeah. Um. But that. Yeah, I think it's interesting that he only tried to do that one movie. I mean, you know, uh, but it was a failure, uh, critically and. I, kind of I would imagine and, that he had to get juice to do that from the success of this. In yeah, some way. I would think so because this movie we should have said earlier uh, it made. Um, let's see, it was made for eight million. It made twenty one million. I was seeing here it said uh, that. Hang on, getting all the way down here. Then its opening weekend, it grossed about five million, um, yeah. and it ranked number one at the box office, replacing First Blood in the top spot. Yeah, had a five day total of eight million, and it grossed twenty one. Highest grossing horror film for Warner Brothers that year. Um, that's another thing to say too is that this was a Warner Brothers movie, but it was made still very much independently, um, because that's just the way Romero was in around Greens- Greensburg, Pennsylvania, kind of near Pittsburgh. Um, that they kind of took a old school, um, an all goal, all girl, all ghouls, all girl yeah. school that was empty and can kind of converted it into a studio. And uh, they filmed, uh, the lonesome death of Jordy Verrill and they're creeping up on you entirely there, as well as the prologue and epilogue. Um, and then parts of the crate were shot at Carnegie Mellon University. Yeah. Um, Father's Day was filmed near Pittsburgh, and then something to tide you over was actually filmed at Island Beach State Park in uh, New Jersey. You know, another but, random ironic 
connection between Romero and King that I haven't thought about is how associated they are with where they're from. Yeah, right. King, of course, with Maine. Like the Northeast. In the Northeast. Yeah. And then um, Romero with Pittsburgh, with Pittsburgh very yeah. clearly. Right. And so, getting all the way back, um, yes, I think that he probably wanted to make Maximum Overdrive based on that success, but clearly that didn't work out. And you know what's funny is that with anybody else, that might pose a threat to their career but it really didn't obviously well that's King well and, that's the thing with him is that he's mostly known in another medium right. as a writer and so he that, can he clearly yeah. do that and it not be quote good or be successful but he can just go yeah. back and, and he be, hadn't even released some of his best works of it coming out after that you know i mean uh and other great books of his eventually but that yeah um it is interesting though that yeah that romero never directly adapted um one of his stories um into a movie right. in itself, like you said, I, I would have been like I said, I would have really loved to see them conceive of some a feature length film idea with that, you yeah. know. Which they this is what this is, but I mean, like not an anthology format yeah. thing. Which I should say, you know, as much as I love Romero, uh, and I really well, that's going to sound something, say something bad, but he actually didn't make as many movies as I would have liked. Yeah. Um, that he really, you know, made obviously the dead movies. Uh, Season of the Witch, The Crazies, The Amusement Park. We're going to jump back to that here in just a minute because that's actually pretty recently. Martin, Knight Riders, Creep Show. Creep Show 2, he was a uh, writer on, actually. He didn't uh, direct it. Monkey Shines, um, Two Evil Eyes, The Dark... Oh, well, actually, no. I thought he did do something. He directed The Dark Half. That okay. uh, Stephen King... I thought he did, but I wasn't sure because I was like, I swear I thought he did do something. Yeah. yeah. So he did do that. Okay. All right. Um... I don't even know that. That's a short film. Bruiser, um, another, so, and then some, basically some more uh, uh, movies of the dead movies. Iron City Eye Kickers. Okay, short film. Uh, but anyway, so yeah, I mean, he made you know some movies, but it's a shame. It felt it feels like he really got stuck in making those uh, zombie movies, which are really great. They're the best zombie things that exist. Yeah. But at the same time, um, it ain't know, like it, you know old school says he only makes gangster movies. Oh, actually, he does all these other movies. Right, it's like yeah. he kind of mostly just. And I'm not, did that's that. probably not yeah. all his fault either. I mean, no. like he gets called in. People um, get called into right. doing that kind of thing. But, uh, but so yes, I think that, um, and he did make the dark half. So there you go. But uh, it's a shame he didn't make as many things. That was why it was. Uh, Impressive to see him make the amusement park because that just came out recently. You have yeah, any thoughts on that? Well, um, we watched that via Shutter, mm-hmm. and I, that was the thing that you know the back. You can explain the backstory behind this better than me. That he, I guess that got funding from a. Uh, it was this uh, religious group. Religious group, this like Lutheran group of some sort that wanted to make a uh, PSA kind of movie, sort of short feature about. Uh, aging and ageism um, and that the movie that he made so, uh, clearly wasn't what they wanted or yeah. expected. I, well, it seems to me he followed um, the assignment because it's a yeah. really great distillation of that very scary concept of aging yeah. and what that feels like um, but not to their liking, I suppose. Yeah. And it makes sense why they wouldn't like it even though I think it is an artistic rendering of that very right. idea. But, yeah. You know. um, yeah, I mean it is really good if you if you haven't seen it, definitely go. It, it, and I really love 
the framing device or not the well yeah i guess the framing device the whole story about this just the imagery of it of an old man kind of beaten and downtrodden in this white room and the same person you know the same actor comes in as a cleaner version of himself with all this optimism Mm -hmm. and he's just saying no don't go out there there's nothing out there and that that happens at the beginning and then all the events happen to the movie and it repeats itself and it's this kind of cyclical like you know it's a very and it's weird because a lot of people would look at that now and they would say what does this have to say about 2021 which by the way it doesn't necessarily need to say anything about 2021 because it was made in the 70s um but you would think okay well we've got other problems other than ageism or whatever but i still feel like it is well, that's just, a universal right, human problem that's what i'm saying too, is yeah. that i think people would be deceived if they didn't see that as still a very necessary Absolutely. and dire statement that still speaks the same volumes it did in the 70s being totally unseen yeah um and it just goes to show that even and even with a movie like the crazies or uh that that which the crazies is still pretty similar to his dead movies. So, but it's good to see something like the amusement park, and you kind of think, oh, what could have been a little more of that? And there are other movies of his I haven't seen that are a little different, like Martin or Night Riders or uh, The Dark Half, even. But um, and even this with Creep Show. Um, but that it is kind of a shame he still didn't get but to it make is good some to, of those other things. This but. is among the more broader movies I think yeah. he ever made, yeah. and it is good to see him work with a talent as prodigious as him and their mediums as King right. and him. And so, um, again, yeah, I think it's just really cool to see them work together yeah. and, and to get these actors to yeah. be these parts. And of another kind of ancillary detail I thought I'd mention is that they're both really big fans, and all these people are, but this goes to show their shared interest. They're both really big fans of um, I Am Legend, uh, the Richard Matheson novel. Clearly that inspired, directly inspired Night of the Living Dead, and in a lot of ways inspired a lot of things that um, King is obsessed with. So I think it's their shared love of things, that kind of type of horror in the EC comics that obviously led to this production. And thankfully, it's two people who know what they're doing um, when they do these things. It's not just some Joe Schmo in an attic somewhere or a, or an attic uh, yeah. basement somewhere. Either uh, way, uh, who knows? Who knows what's going on either place? Uh, that's just like you know a neck beard somewhere with uh without a better term to use for it that just like oh I love these things let me do this they actually are artists yeah um, right in their own way that can that in ways that kind of like what Tarantino is able to do are able to take this what's seen as trash and actually elevate it to something that isn't in this case isn't necessarily something like high art in their own individual cases I think they made high art um but. Uh, out of that but in this case it's something that they know exactly what it is and they're just making it and it just is a fun creepy little creep show again so. that that tagline the yeah. most fun you ever have being scared it just it's not there it's it's there to kind of uh it's a good i think horror movie for people that aren't like that want to have that sensation but don't want to have something that's going to keep them up at night like right. long hours and very something very very disturbing so it's good in that way to right. kind of thread that needle. Yeah. Uh, so, we're going to take a brief break. You're going to hear the trailer for Creep Show, and they're going to dive right into the movie. Coming soon. Jolting Tales of Horror. Creep Show. From the author of Carrie, The Shining, and Cujo. 
and the creator of Night of the Living Dead and Dawn of the Dead. You'll scream at ghastly ghouls. Cringe at weird kids. And shiver at the doings of evil doctors. This is going to be extremely painful, Mr. Verrill. Creepshow will grab you, grow on you, and give you the creeps. No, this is going to be an entirely new experience. Creepshow, the most fun you'll ever have being scared. I will choose free will. I will choose free will. One more time for you. Go now. I will choose free will. And we're back. Uh, I don't know why we decided to do that, but whatever. It's our podcast. We can do what we want. So, Levi, it is rated R because... (laughs) It's rated R. No, no, this was before they listed all that stuff. By the way, about that trailer, wasn't it funny how long it took the, like, Warner Brothers logo to, like, get off the screen? Yeah, I'm going to edit some of that (laughs) Yeah, but uh, Yeah, so you you probably didn't hear it, it, but... Yeah, yeah. but it just... But we choose free will. (laughs) So... When it comes to animate, you know, not animated, when it comes to children's entertainment, I will choose free willy. So... (laughs) I don't think I've seen one of those whole movies. Free Willy that, 3, The Rescue. I remember when they were big back in the 90s. Yeah. But. Anyways, we're ready. <laughs> yeah. So uh, we're watching the Blu-ray for this. It's probably streaming somewhere right now. Yeah, I'm not knows. sure where, but uh, we're going to hit play. I think it was on Shutter, but I don't have Shutter anymore. We're going to hit play in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Which we promoted Shutter quite a bit on this specific podcast today. The so. old... Well, not the the old ye old Warner Brothers logo, but I just saw the seventies, eighties. I was watching uh, the Outsiders again, so yeah, better than the new one, but you know, yeah, well, whatever. Yeah, well, you're gonna ruin my day. You gotta wonder, like, to be the kid of Romero or Stephen King, like, yeah. being do what they do, you probably were exposed to all sorts of stuff yeah. so early on in your life in terms of, quote, scary stuff. <laughs> Love that the wife's mad, you know. Yeah. About him hitting the kid as he should be, as she should be, but not like about, hey, wait a minute, you got pornography in this home? Yeah. Like, is it his son? Like, <laughs> you know, it says it's funny. That's just like yeah. Joe King or Joe Hill, whatever. Yeah, Monopoly board up there. Yeah. A lot of this whole room kind of reminds yeah. me of. Uh, that uh, boy in uh, Salem's Lot's room yeah. that it describes. That's definitely one of my favorite King books. That was the first one I read beginning to end, I remember. Yeah. Have you ever seen that whole uh, miniseries or 
of the stand or TV movie. I've seen, no, no, the, oh, oh, uh, I'm Salem's sorry, I wasn't Lot. listening. Yes, I have. I don't good? know why I thought it was. No, not really. I know some people like it. No, Toby that Hooper was actually a yeah, yeah, Toby Hooper. Yeah, it ain't all that bad. It just ain't all that good either. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> to his own father. About his own father. Dracula over there. Yeah. Love all this horror stuff, and then all like, you know, cowboy, and then you got Raiders of Lost yeah. Ark over there. He's like, oh, look. Like, oh, demented freak. Yeah. Like, <laughs> outside my window. Yeah, it's funny, too, that, like, that the dad's mad about the senior senator from Montana like yeah that he's mad about the comic book and it's like what about all the other stuff he's got in his room yeah like, is that who well he just stole all that like yeah love that whole creep show slash tales from the crypt font you mm -hmm. know like Off the top, Hal Holbrook. Love a good special guest appearance. And obviously, these are you know moments from the stories that they're drawing yeah. here out. It'd be a good chance to tell that story about uh, our mom with that comic book that. That oh yeah, she, comic book she grew she up was with. telling us about this comic book that she remembered. It was like the uh, I can't remember now what it was called. It was but, DC something. Uh, yeah, it was a DC comic book, but it was about this like ghoul party or something, and they had this like uh, cake on the cover or something. Right. And anyway, she said she used to have it, and so I looked it up and I was able to find it, and I actually bought it for. Her. Yeah, um, and but she, she had a very vivid memory yeah. of seeing that. Yeah, but yeah. No, she remembered it very clearly. Hey, hey, greetings, kitties. Oh, well, Father's Day. Didn't have time to read it yeah. Father's Day, yeah. So it's Father's Day. This is about like the dad just died, right? And they're all splitting up his... No, I don't think he's dead yet. Oh, yeah. Music in Batman 89. Yeah, oh, like stock, classy like, stock music. Yeah. For Ed Harris, this is about around the same time, I guess, is uh, uh, the right stuff. Yeah. Era for him. Well, no, I guess it has happened already. I couldn't remember. Yeah. Like, <laughs> it's like a stamp, you know? Yeah. Stamp is a gift. 
I'm surprised they haven't made gift stamps yet, you know? Yeah. Kill Yarborough? No. <laughs> wow. <laughs> what a violent, sick people so far. Yeah. And most recently, uh, fairly recently, uh, Knives Out has a whole similar plot in some ways in terms of this. Yeah. Uh, obviously, that not just from this, but many other things in terms of like, uh, oh, the, who really is the person who wanted to kill Christopher Plummer's character, you know? Yeah. A patriarch. Almost looks like Anne Bancroft mixed with Diane Keaton. Yeah. Father's Day makes you think of Happy Death Day. Have you yeah. seen that? Uh, well, there's a horror movie called Mother's Day that uh, maybe I'm Andy thinking of that Kaufman too. Made. Yeah, yeah. What could go wrong yeah, in the funny, graveyard? This whole character. Um, okay. <laughs> this whole character, the way she looks, looks exactly like a whole, like, Tales from the Crypt character. Just very, like, morose and, like, uh, just gaudy and just, like, yeah, like. <laughs> Ever heard of anybody really begging for their Father's Day cake? Yeah, no. I, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow. And this puts some borders and backgrounds around some of these shots, obviously, yeah. to replicate that comics look. Yeah.
Well, you gotta say, I don't feel a lot of sympathy for the fact that anybody killed this guy. No. He's a pretty miserable human being. Seems like. <laughs> wow, that was it. Like, but it was enough. Yep. Father. The father. Like a hotel. Like Sir Large Bed. TV. One of those Father's Day cakes you open with a kiss. <laughs> like, what? Yeah. You don't sound like you really mean it, but well. Which, again, that guy, I don't think I would either. And bring the bootlegging into it, like. Yeah. Meanwhile, you drink at his grave. <laughs> she left a six pack right there at his <laughs> grave. I mean, this is a very complicated story. It's not very simple for how simple it is. Actually, yeah. it's like, wait, so he killed the woman she or the man she loved, and she killed him, and out seven years, and then you've got this other part of the family, yeah. and it's like it's just way too complicated. <laughs> Jimmy Bean. James Bean. Rock on. Rock on. No, 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 no. Not no mo. Of the flame or the smoke coming up. That music was later used in the Thanksgiving trailer for Grindhouse. Yeah. I actually like the design of this, but yeah, you know, well. Oh yeah, that is. I, that's I do recognize yeah. that specifically. Meanwhile, that new hip disco. With Ed Harris doing that, <laughs> like, wow. Like a total fool. Sometimes she did this back to me. 
Well, let me go outside and get killed. Let me go outside and direct Appaloosa. Like. <laughs> I'll go outside and be Jackson Pollock. <laughs> but we all know Ed Harris's greatest performance, though, was at the Cannes you know, press conference that. for History of Violence. What is that? What is that? What, what is violence? That's what the movie's about. You can tell then he like realizes what he's done. He's like, oh crap! He likes, yeah. Like, yeah, I love when he first does it. People start laughing, and then and they're, they're like, like oh, oh. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, not the in some ways not the craziest uh, Cannes press conference for a uh, David Cronenberg movie as a. Uh, the uh, crash one's pretty notorious, I know, for yeah. uh, people going back and forth uh, with the cast and crew. Well, cast and Cornberg. James Spader in particular. Oh, people not in liking kind of, it. Yeah, yeah. steamed mood. Did you what ever was see... it people didn't like about it? I don't yeah. know. <laughs> I mean, I like it, but, you know, it, it's... Have you ever seen any when James Spader was on The Office for a brief time? No. It was like Robert California, I think was his character. Oh, I've heard name. the name. Right. I didn't know that's who he was played by. Yeah, he was playing some, like a very James Spader yeah, yeah. office character. Like the Blacklist yeah. era. Love James Spader. Always good. Very weird, you know, kind of aura, but, you know. But, you know, you gotta, you gotta be sometimes. You know, <laughs> would you ever go do this? Just go walk around a cemetery that's got fog everywhere. Not with the fog. And there's like a and an when, old woman missing. And when like, you're in a horror movie, especially, right. you're like something ain't right here. Like, but you know. So if all I those do remember that the one of the it. final images of this story, I think, is very memorable. But do you remember that? Uh, not we'll get. We'll, you'll see. Oh yeah, baby. Oh yeah, you'll see. Oh yeah, baby. You'll see. Go, 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 baby. <laughs> Jimmy Bean, he found. He's like, oh, look at that. No, oh, look at that. I should have downed that. I'll do the rest. Mm-hmm. Like, he's surprised what it smells like. Yeah, he'd know. He'd know. You gonna go out like he's in Batman Mask of the Phantasm? Like. Yeah. <laughs> She's dead. Like. So you gonna do anything about moving? Jake Hogan, and... boys, like come on. Meanwhile, <laughs> what would you do? With John Kenny on us. I remember what we laughed about that. I went, Whoa. <laughs> 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 okay, freak. Dad gum. It's mine. Like, okay. That disco still jamming. Obviously, uh, you know, there was a lot of anti-disco stuff back in the late yeah, 70s, Yeah, it's interesting, 80s, uh, because like, I like disco fine enough, but I could actually see 
why people would not especially have been rock into fans, that. I yeah, guess. yeah, but whatever. I mean, uh, I, I like it. Especially these people. Yeah. Of Romero and King would have, I would assume they would, yeah, held it more content. Right. Because King, famously, his favorite band ever is ACDC, and then he really loved... Uh, who scored uh, all of those Who scored Maximum Overdrive, yeah. yeah um, uh, and added their own music in there. That they'd already written for, before the movie. But uh, but they did, I think, write a couple songs for the movie. Um, but also, that specifically in Pet Cemetery, uh, which I think is actually one of the most quintessential King novels. That doesn't make it the best one. Yeah, sure. But I think it's a very interesting book I want to talk about some other time when we have time. Um, but that, uh, and I've talked to you about before, about yeah. why, but I'm saying on the podcast some other yeah. time I'll talk about it. But um, that, anyways, that in that he talked a lot about, oh, like, listen to the Ramones' song Rockaway Beach or whatever, and, like, on the radio, and, like, talking about that. I was like, okay, like... Dang. That zombie design looks a lot like the zombie zombie. That, that, the, that Italian, the Italian movie? movie? Yeah, yeah kind of, yeah. That's a interesting enough movie. You've, you've seen yeah, that, Yeah, right it's all right. I, I, did, I saw that, and I quite like that okay, the Lucio, Lucio Fulci yeah. uh, movie. Um, but then I saw that other movie he made, uh, City of the Living Dead. That was pretty bad, so. Yeah. How are those connected to the Romero movies again? Are they uh, the, official? That zombie, well, City of the Living Dead was not connected to those. Okay. That was just its own movie yeah. that was kind of a zombie movie. Zombie is like a sequel to in Italy because Dario Argento uh, helped produce Dawn of the Dead, and it was a big hit in Italy. Right. So zombie, that was when all that, that was made, movies yeah. were being made. So, so yeah. it was made as a sequel to... Dawn of the Dead. Yeah. Although in name all in name only, it's totally different. It doesn't follow any of the characters or anything. Right. But uh, and it's good. I mean, it's not the best thing ever or anything, especially not compared to those movies. Uh, but uh, it's interesting in its own way. But yeah, that was the image I was talking yeah. about. It's pretty interesting, but by the way, I just want to say about this story now that's over. Um, I know they weren't the best people, but they didn't really do anything to him, though. You know, specifically, like. Yeah, right. But whatever. I don't care. I'd love to go back at some point and pause those uh, fan letters and see what they yeah. say exactly. Yeah. But here we go. Here's old Stevie himself. This one just immediately jumps in. It's like, all right. (laughs) (laughs) 
Why would you touch it? Yeah. Just po keep poking it with something else. Something I was meaning to say earlier about this story is that its interpretation of alien life is weirdly similar to Invasion of the Body Snatchers in terms of yeah, being right. more plant-based and right. kind of humanoid. Yeah. Meanwhile, Department of Meteors. <laughs> It's funny, he's instantly thinking, yeah. how am I going to make a buck off this? Pay off that bank loan. <laughs> you see, I don't know if he has a wife or kids or all. Nah. This also kind of reminds me of a story that he wrote uh, I'm going to have to look up the name of it that was about this astronaut who grew eyes on his hands. Have you ever heard of that one? No, I ain't heard of that one. Um, I've read it, but I can't remember the name. Let's see. Some of his performances reminded me of like Timothy Oliphant. Not Timothy Oliphant, but... Gosh, uh, the guides and vice principals and oh, Walton Goggins. Walton Goggins, yeah. yeah. Uh, I am the doorway. That was yeah about like this uh, astronaut got exposed. It said to an extraterrestrial mutagen during a space mission to Venus. Okay, and that he like there's like eyeballs in it in his hand or something. Or let me see. On his fingertips, yeah. And that the aliens can see through them or something. Mm -hmm. Anyway. But I could see uh, Goggins playing a ver this, yeah. this part. Like, <laughs> being good at it. <laughs> That's the line I always remember. Yeah. <laughs> Are there any King cameos in movies that of his own movies that are memorable or well he was in uh of course the newest it. yeah i remember uh, that he was in uh of course in maximum overdrive at the beginning of yeah. the movie this computer called me an asshole yes. uh, uh he was in uh he was, was he like in... the one of the priests in uh silver bullet was he in dead zone or carry at all not that i remember yeah Sounds like Vince McMahon almost. Might have been. Yeah, it is him. Yep. So Vince McMahon is in this movie, yeah. you know, I guess. No chance. That's what's what he's got. Meanwhile. 
Looks like he could use some vegetation around. Not that kind, though. Yeah. Who did the score for this? Uh, let me look. Of how similar. John Harrison. Okay. Uh, who collaborated a lot with Romero, it says. Yeah, I was thinking that. I love how also in his imagination how unimaginative they all are. They're all like yeah. in the same place, look almost the exact same. Plus, you can only respect Stephen King for going out there and being like, look at my weird self, you know? Right. Like, oh, he's putting himself on the line, definitely. Yeah. Pretty uh, vanity-free performance. I think so. It also reminds me of In Thinner, the book. There's a. Uh... Oh, well, let's see this. <gasps> On the tongue. Yuck. Later. Uh, th there's a character that some other bad stuff happens to where he has all this, like, basically. Uh, these scales that grow on his skin mm -hmm. and it gets to the point where it's in his mouth and like Ugh. it's like real bad yeah <laughs> it's like getting flashes of Eustace from Courage Cowardly Dog with this like stupid yeah. plant you make me look bad yeah <laughs> 
Yeah, the vodka, that'll fix it. Try the ketchup, too. Yeah. All that green on his face reminisce some of the big beards he sported over yeah. the years during this time. Yeah, in the late seventies, early eighties, yeah. yeah. You gotta see, he seems relatively calm for what's going yeah. on, you know? I mean, I'm... I think it's because he's so dumb. Yeah. Like, <laughs> it's not really catching on yet. American flag there, you know? Wow. <laughs> oh, it ain't no dream, buddy boy. All right. <laughs> It's like he's going to be the next Swamp Thing. Adrian Barbeau was in Swamp Thing. How is this happening? Yeah. I mean, I know that's a question for this whole thing, but, you if know. If it's making him hallucinate or what? So he wants it so bad. Look how sparkly it looks. Don't you love that grain prices update? Oh, yeah. It's a great way to wake up every morning. 
This is where it always goes, I guess, in these yep. situations. That's a real dark ending too that it's like all of the world will become this whatever this is. Yeah. Voodoo doll. I love when you get old comics anyways and it should be superhero comics especially when I'm more familiar with and just all the random old weird ads and yeah. Send in this for this, like, and I always wonder if try to still do that. What would even you, you didn't get a response? Yeah. Like, some you, I would imagine you get like a LOL good one, bro, but nah. Wow. <laughs> so speaking of Le Leslie Nielsen, we uh, have got the uh, police squad show on yeah. Blu-ray. Haven't watched that yet. I know there's not much of it, but yeah, that one season. He's one of those faces again. You can't help but just see and start laughing in your head just thinking yeah. about all the stuff he's said or done. Wow. A lot of like do this now, right now, you know. Wow. 
On a road near the shore. On that one road. Go down that road. Vickers. <laughs> like I was saying, it, it, him just saying all this stuff with a smile is really what adds the dimension of the scariness to his character. Yeah. Bring a shovel to a gunfight, you know the old saying. <laughs> well, he says that without any like rhythm or comedy yeah. at all. The lady fair. Jump into that hole. Oh, get in there. Well, if he went all the way out there and dug that hole, yeah, you know, ahead yeah. of time, like, it's funny if a, in the middle of all that, a dog came and crapped in it and then left. And yeah, then, he's like, yeah. even better, yeah. like, yeah, even more pungent, yeah. In a sick sort of way. Yeah, you shouldn't believe him. No, just in case you didn't remember. Bird's like, now nah, we done. Wow. <laughs> That's something you ever said to a student, like, 
<laughs> in a certain, not with a gun pointed right, at him, right. but. <laughs> not even a water pistol. I wonder how long that took. About five minutes. Yeah. <laughs> Just like you know, it said later on, it's like guesstimating five minutes later. Yeah, guesstimate. Brad Pitt and uh, killing him softly, like mm-hmm. that little bit of like yeah. slapping. It's interesting. It's done on me that you know, this is like in the daytime on a beach, like very much environments you don't associate with horror. Yeah. You know what I mean? You're Richard much... Vickers, that's a name. Singing, I'm just wild about Harry. Roaring twenties throwback, but Mary. <laughs> so no animals harmed in the making of this creep show. What if it says that in the credits? All the effort he's going to. I know. It's almost like it's really not worth it. So yeah, this is happening at the same time, I guess, further down. Yeah. Or whatever. A lot of technology having to work very specifically here, but mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, demonstrably, yes, but you know. Thank you. 
should have asked the same question to Ted Danson as uh, Brad Pitt asked Edward Norton to fight him. You ever watch a snuff film? Yeah. yeah. Not Edward. Or that was in. Uh, I know what was that in? That was in The Counselor. But it might as well have been. In oh, I was thinking of Brad Pitt's voice, I guess. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Never mind. More music that's in Thanksgiving trial. I, I'd forgotten that yeah. music was from Creep Show. <laughs> As someone who likes to take uh, other people's work and music and shuffle it into my own stuff, you know, good for you, you know, Eli yeah. Roth. This is going to leave like. Clearly demented individual. What a troubled old man. pretty miserable experience <laughs> yeah this is also in Thanksgiving mm -hmm. this is all this music like. mm -hmm. what a random choice yeah what? Okay. So he's just totally, obviously insane. Yeah. I mean, we well, already he does that, for a living. I wonder. I don't know. Never says. Could <laughs> have got some money. Maybe he's a TV producer or something. Yeah. I, mean, I think that describes the amorality and evilness. Wow. Watching. <laughs> little strut. Yeah. Wow. Was it not fun anymore? Like, no, that's a shame. It's lost its... Lost the... Leslie Nielsen. Fun what an era, you know? Mm-hmm. You would probably start getting delirious to a point because salt water makes you like crazy if you drink too much of it, supposedly. It's not like regular water. 
You must add them in there super tight, because oh, there's part of me that always think, oh, couldn't they have wiggled out? But I get it. You know? Yeah. Did you sound to Richard Gear? <laughs> what? Like, what an image that is. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I guess he's leaving behind a lot of physical evidence that would be very easily traceable to him. But he owns like. the whole place. Oh, that's true, I guess. Wouldn't you think they'd be coming looking for these people eventually, though? Yeah. That wouldn't be that hard to get those bodies out of there, though, eventually. You know what I mean? Like, it would just come around and... yeah. Wash itself out. He's crazy, though, I guess. Mm -hmm. The music of this and the imagery reminds me of uh, Carnival of Souls. Uh -huh. You remember the end of that movie where it's kind of on that, like, beach-looking area? Yeah. Which, of course, Romero is a big fan of that movie, so. Yeah. I'm feeling empty inside. Like it's almost like their murders didn't help my soul. Actually, how was he able to see that on that screen? By the way, no. here's the idea: the maid's been moving my stuff. Like what? He's been moving my murder tapes around. <laughs> yeah. That necklace he's got on. Yeah, I've been looking at that for a while. The whole fit he's got is something.
Yep, took it off. So going back to his zombie roots here. This is something that I feel like only adds to the uselessness of the first one is like, if you're going to kind of do a version of this, yeah. just do it with this right. version as opposed to that. Because with this, we actually get to know Nielsen's character and what he did as opposed right. to just being told about the things the other people did. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, Another reason to maybe cut the first. It's just one. more masterfully directed yeah. too, and looks better. Is more interesting. And has this darker sense right. of humor about yeah. it too. Even, yeah. Is there anything that we do like about that first? <laughs> Jimmy Bean, James Bean. I mean, had some moments. Moment. Ed Harris dying moments in the cemetery. Happened. Yeah. Well, it just showed straight up full frontal nudity. Like, of I mean, yeah. Leslie Nielsen. <laughs> What's funny, you know, about Leslie Nielsen, we should have said this earlier, is that, you know, he was known for this very, like, serious part actor in these, like, sci-fi movies, like Forbidden Planet or yeah. whatever, you know. And then that, like, he made a whole career of making fun of himself, parroting himself, basically. Yeah. After and that, more people yeah. honestly know him from right, the second which thing. Which is strange. Yeah. There's that same ashtray. Yeah. Wentworth. That's his name. You know, just think about that. It's a nice house. Yeah. Imagine the property values getting ready to go down. Or up. Savini's like, oh, I love this smut. Yeah. <laughs> he just has his little freak out moment here. 
just stops. Well, okay, he moved. I do love how confident he was in so much in the early part of this, and yeah. now he's just a sniveling, <laughs> you know, baby now at this point. Tables have turned. Oh! That's a pretty good jump scare in there. Yeah. <laughs> Not that freeze frame. Wow. Freeze frame. Deet. What's next? Uh oh. That's a good one. Yeah. So I remember this one being my favorite one the first time I saw it, but I might like that one better this time. We'll see. At one coin, really gonna turn his fortunes around. Who could this be? Eighteen thirty four. Is that what it said on there? I think so, or nineteen thirty four, couldn't see. No, we're not worthless human beings, like in your case. Now, apparently, this was filmed in like Romero's backyard or something. Yeah. I, I could kind of see that, I guess. Like Elliot Gould and like you know uh, Henry Gibson just gonna be 
walking, talking in the background, a la the Nashville, yeah, you know, barbecue scene, right. This is an interesting whole kind of thing about the idea of like, you know, and there's been certain things about this, but like university relationships between like professors and, th- you know. Mm-hmm. White Noise is a version of that as far as university campus yeah. life working there or whatever. Satire of the 80s. During the Jackson administration, yes, yeah, so it's like a a, a a freeze frame they had there. Freeze yeah, frame, yeah. On both. <laughs> then when the other guy started talking, yeah. they freeze frame another one. I guess it's like comics is just in, you know. Maybe I should. Arctic expedition, it says too. So another like you know this along with the thing like don't go missing in the Arctic. Yeah. 
that uh you know that couple that was in that a minute yeah. ago i did realize yeah that was uh i think uh um george romero's wife okay. i'd forgotten that christine forrest because yes yeah, she was in uh uh, she was assistant director of Dawn of the Dead. I feel like I've seen her in some other movie, though, too. It, I can't remember what it is. Yeah, she was in Dawn of the Dead. That's what I was thinking okay. of. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Oh, nothing, yeah, yeah. Nothing's going to ruin oh, yeah, all baby. of our lives. What? Uh, I don't see why spend time with the sun. If you're staring at the sun, that's a problem. But yeah. Okay. <laughs> what would you do with that? Oh, Henry. Mm-hmm. What a random couple. Yeah. Just visually. <laughs> what, the locks? Like, yeah. What would they be worth? Like, 
You know, a random thing I'm noticing with this movie, I think that you can apply this across the board, films, since, is that how comfortable this movie is having people just that are older as yeah. characters. Yeah, I feel I like now you see a movie that does a similar thing, and it's just like, oh, let's like make them no more than 40 some years old right. like, and everybody's super young just because like yeah this one's very comfortable having people that are just a little older to be characters partly know? yeah because the filmmakers knew a lot you know yeah, that was that people they work place, with yeah. too but yeah no i mean it used to be that way mm-hmm. speaking of ageism i mean now it's like i don't know chris pratt he might be too old for this part like <laughs> And younger people were fine with that back then. They didn't care. Yeah. You know. And now I'm not entirely sure if it's young people today don't want to see that or they're just not provided that and they yeah. wouldn't really care either way. I don't know. Is that a gremlin in there? get swept up in there it's gonna be a it'll, it was a good death like mm-hmm. you know not, not really fall vibe <laughs> wow <laughs> what even is that like a werewolf like a yeti or yeti, something yeah. Vaguely. Vaguely a yeti. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Mmm, fine gristle. <laughs> wow. Imagine being that actor just doing all having going <laughs> <like, yeah. laughs> This hero. Creature gibbering. Stop speaking that creature gibberish.
So I was looking, this story was based on a uh, short story that uh, King wrote. Okay. It had already written, I guess? Yeah. It's always a great model of sanity, gibbering to yourself, you know. Charlie, he looks like a model grad student, don't you think? Yeah. Whoops. How big that flashlight is, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> That's the way flashlights used to look, you know? Yeah. the bite marks I mean wouldn't you yeah that'd be the first thing I'd want to do measure them bite marks in the corner That's not good. Yeah. Kind of like the Harry and the Hendersons, like, yeah. you know, yeah. Bigfoot, whatever. <laughs> Getting a thrashing. You know what I, of course, the question on everybody's mind right now, <laughs> how'd this thing stay alive that long? Yeah. Did it, like, hibernate or something? Like, Wow. It was like let out ever so many years to feed and then put back in. I don't know. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> this Fritz Weaver performance is just like another level of insane. Yeah. He's just like, what's going on? Who's dead? Calm down, buddy boy. <laughs> Last time I 
Wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He nearly bit me. <laughs> Thank God for Henry, you know. Just... Yeah. I mean, this Holbrook fit, by the way, too. Yeah, love it. I mean, Samuel Clemens, the next generation, you know? I mean, he liked to drink Mark Twain era. <laughs> It is interesting, you know, that all this is happening, and the first thing he's thinking of is, that's the way I can get rid of my wife. Like, yeah. that's what you're going to be thinking about? Yeah. Like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, go, go. If you heard that, that was yeah. So we got another monster in here. Yeah, sorry, it's in my crate. I just love when something totally involuntary. I just love when something gets all up in your grill. Yeah, (laughs) your McGriddle. Yeah, I mean this thing got up in his grill. I'll tell you that. God, what an awful mess. Yeah, something's going on. What's going on in there? Oh clatter. my god, a jump scare. Oh! Ah! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, do that. Yeah, do that. Do your thing. Run feet. Love how he just believes it too. Yeah. From the fir- in the first place, he's like, "Okay, well, I guess it's there." Yeah. I'm assuming that's what happened. I don't know.
You know, he's telling the truth. Now, I don't know about you, but whenever I... Whose blood is that? Who even knows? Um, whenever I get to go to school and wear jeans and, like, and a shirt or something, I feel like I'm in, like, you know, like, a college professor, like, uh, casual mode, you know? You're like, (laughs) I'm a teacher, but, like, taking it easy today, you know, kind of era. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I remember subconsciously, I think when I was in middle and high school, and I would, on Fridays, sometimes I would notice teachers wearing you know yeah. jeans or t-shirt and i'd be like why aren't they all dressed up kind of but now i'm doing it i'm like oh definitely any any chance you i mean try to keep the fit strong nonetheless but you yeah. know oh yeah it's not making it worse was it Great voice. Yep. So I got new dirt. Red. This is a horror movie. Gibbering. Yeah, a lot of gibbering. Interesting Adrian Barbeau performance because normally she's a very like level-headed, yeah, nice. Probably yeah. Part, on but, her part, like, want to do something different like yeah. this, you know. Also, I forgot until now. I just remembered she was on that show Carnival. I watched some of yeah. I don't know what the time run throughs on all these are. This seems like a longer one. Yeah, I think it's the longest one. Yeah. I'm gonna say I think they kinda get longer as they go. Yeah. Because I think the last one might be the longest. It's either this one or that one. Remember, this is the movie, same please. movie as Where's My Cake? Where's My Cake? My Father's Day Cake. Like, wow. We're gonna, yeah, next time it's Father's Day, we have to make deal, make deal about My Father's yeah. Day. And we're not even fathers, yeah. but, and our dad's like, what huh? are y'all talking about? Like, <laughs> dude, what now? coming as Bill Lugosi once said <laughs> makes no sense but the Burger King yeah and if you're thinking what like go read against the day 
in your yeah. memory. All ten pages. But of I haven't even done that yet. Huh? <laughs> All ten pages of it. <laughs> yeah. More like eleven hundred. More like times ten times that. Yeah. No, actually a hundred times yeah. that. Excuse me. Think about there's a book that's like 10 pages. Well, actually, 100 times that. Yeah. <laughs> what are you doing, creep showing around down there? What are you doing being a creep in this creep show here? What a portrait of depravity this all is, you know? Mm -hmm. Whoops. It got full. All done. Thank you. 
barnyard exhibit. Respected the movie so much more, people just straight up vomited in the hallway. Yeah, and slipped on it. Yeah. Yeah, I love slipping on vomit. Not a lot of healthy relationships in this movie, you know? No. That's what I think about this one is so interesting is that it's like, at its base level, it's about this weird ape in a crate from the Arctic. Yeah. But then it's also about this, like, troubled marriage at this, like, like college yeah it's like like multiple things that don't really fit together exactly, like, but... But they somehow... Coincide. Uh, oh, oh, oh. No, oh, the candy oh, man, oh. you know, Thomas. Remember how this ends. I don't really remember. Really. Insulting his wife to the very end.
Okay. Mm-hmm. That's an interesting That's decision. That's a V-neck. A lot of interesting decisions in this yeah. shot. <laughs> Or, as uh, um, Billy Corgan once said, nobody smell like you. <laughs> nobody love is home. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> probably going to be some kind of crap where it's like, it pops out and kills him or something like here at the end, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, you actually kind of definitely mm-hmm. did, but. It's getting out. It kind of ends on a cliffhanger. Yeah, it's interesting, you know, that that one doesn't end definitively. That's why I didn't remember, because I was like, well, do it. Interesting that this one doesn't see a definitive uh, end or, like, definitive revenge or, like, moral yeah. comeuppance, you know. Not sure what that means, but, yeah. you know. All right. Prepare yourselves for this one, folks. Mm-hmm. Masking up for it was cool. I wonder how he would approach the whole COVID era, you know? If he would have lived Be there. easy. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> like he's like, real, it's real personal. Yeah, I remember him. this one being really profane, of course. Yeah. so dumb because that's like saying no more air in this building it's like what like that would frankly be easier to do yeah than bugs because then you just make it like a bank vault Mm mm-hmm We gotta listen for Ned Beatty's voice in here. You believe that the patient. I told them I wanted to get to him within the hour. Within the hour. He now has that in twenty six minutes to 
Your favorite word. <laughs> don't you think it's just crazy by the way that like he's like oh I don't want any germs and it's like he's the only one touching any of this stuff yeah. like I get that he's got to be all well this <laughs> Wow. Uh, but don't you think it's just crazy that... Oh, that guy killed himself. But why would he have everything be white in there, you know? Yeah. Like, I know that he's a clean freak, but having something... I guess so he can see it yeah, more clearly, so I, thinking, I yeah, guess. So but... clearly see whatever. He's worried about all that, and his hair looks like yeah. absolute abject garbage. But you know, <laughs> one thing I've kind of always wondered about this movie and some anthologies in general is that the extent to which the uh, orders of the entries are shuffled around that yeah. if it was this always quote the last one or right. was it like another one the last one you know how does that work right you What an image that is, yeah. you know. Imagine like looking out your window and seeing that. Yeah. <laughs> it's totally Dang. insane. He's gonna waste <laughs> the whole can. Yeah. He's gonna need it coming up. Yeah. Yeah, just wait a little longer. <laughs> 
Wow. Wow. I wonder where he ranks as far as the dirtbag level of this movie, you know, because Leslie uh, Nielsen was pretty bad. Yeah. Well, Hal Nobody's as bad as uh, Vita Pierce, though. Yeah. You know, we wa- we rewatched Mildred Pierce right. that night. Good yeah. Lord, what an evil person. Of his little things are like almost like pneumatic tubes in terms of the sucking. Yeah. Where is it all going? Yeah. kind of hard to see the subtitles during this section of the movie because everything's wide and wide. (laughs) Wow. The subtitles didn't add the effing in there. Yeah. You know, this is on your welfare check. Are we together on this? <laughs> that seems very out of his character yeah. to have a jukebox in there, by <laughs> the way. Everything else is just so white. Yeah. There's just this very colorful jukebox there. Cool guy, you know. Very nice guy. <laughs> Creep show up on Hmm. What even is that? Yeah, I don't even know. Oh my god. <laughs> That'd be disgusting. <laughs> like cereal. Yeah, I guess. Or something. Why is he doing that with cereal? I don't know. He's a weirdo. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> How did they even get in? Yeah. That's the question. I guess that's what he's mad about. Mm hmm. 
white little frog was. I've noticed that in service jobs, people like yourself often do people of color. So he's a racist too, you know. There he is. <laughs> wow. <laughs> like you said earlier, he's just going to run out of this stuff. Huh? Why is he talking to her? They're supposedly, um, <laughs> there were, uh, 20,000 cockroaches used in oh, this segment. Boy. I don't know if they have a cockroach wrangler back then. But that supposedly Tom Savini used a lot of, like, nuts and raisins in the scene later when they're all over the place. It's oh, saying, okay. I know now when they even do stuff like that with bugs, they have to have uh, professional wranglers right. to make sure they're safe. I don't know if they take those precautions. Yeah, back I don't then. know. <laughs> it's not going to work out for him. <laughs> so, looking at the times, I think the last one wasn't the longest. Yeah. Uh, this is nearly over. But... <laughs> I would just run out in the hallway at yeah, this why point. Not? You would be better off. Wow, they're in the jukebox. I mean, he can be. <laughs> wow. I just love that, you know, the bitter end, he's just like, having to bring that into it, right. like that means anything. <laughs> there they come. Mm. Spooky. I mean. He ran out of spray. And we caught it.
Well, personal, he takes it. Like they really care about him. Yeah. It's almost like his whole success he's had in his whole career was just so he could get away from bugs. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Sick. I mean, this would be, you know, awful. Yeah. No question. This is something else here. <laughs> wow. One of the nastier effects Thompson has yeah. ever done. Which oh, is yeah, it's impressive. <laughs> wow. That was end up being the word of the. You know, the skit, so to speak. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Um, Just an aside, anybody yeah. who says skit over sketch or whatever is, yeah, no, no thank you. Yeah, that one obviously was intended for to be a gross out, but I think it's good. I yeah, mean, yeah. You know. Here comes the man himself. Mm-hmm. Didn't hear Ned Beatty, by the way, on that. No, he was in there somewhere probably, yeah. but oh well. Find 
<laughs> I just love that Stephen King's son oh, doing yeah. that. Ready for another shot, Dad? It was all a comic book the yeah. whole time. Oh my gosh. What is reality? <laughs> so we were the creep show the whole time? <gasps> um. <laughs> um. Yeah, you know, it's important to note, I'm sure you've heard this before, that Tom Savini took a lot of inspiration for his uh, effects from being a f combat photographer in Vietnam, mm -hmm. some of the stuff he saw. So yeah. there you go. Maybe he saw somebody torn apart by cockroaches. I don't know. Yeah. Jungle bugs. Cletus Anderson. <laughs> Good old Cletus. Oh, by the way, director. Oh, yeah, you know what. But yeah, it's still good. Uh, yep. How do you think it works as a whole? Like in terms of, uh, we kind of said the first one, a little more cuttable. Yeah. The first I think segment. all the other ones are good though. Yeah. But we did. I but we did get to see. I want my Father's Day cake. Yeah. <laughs> Can I have and my Father's Day? And cake, Harris. <laughs> yeah. Can I please have my Father's Day cake, please? Um. And we got to see Ed Harris be like, Whoa, and yeah. then. <laughs> So do you have a definitive favorite out of all those? I don't know. The more I think about it, the more I do really like the something to tide you over one actually might be the best one. Yeah. But the crate one is really good, I think. It's between those. It's between those two, yeah, I yeah. would agree. Um, it's funny, the other two are about s something like get like on your skin you know like yeah. either bugs or which interestingly like follow me here like i know it's called You're creep show this, yeah. but something it keeps talking about is gonna sound like ooh, like like uh chewbacca puts hands behind head <laughs> move but it's like i mean every one of these stories is about something creeping on something i mean you could say about a lot of horror stories yeah. but like a zombie or like a plant or water creeping up yeah. to get you. Or it's all like, about very you know, physical like, sensations. Right. It's yeah. about all these very, I mean, I know that sounds dumb to actually say out loud, but like, that's true. You know, but anyway, very true. So, uh, creep show, good start to spooktober specials, you know, spooky. And up next, we're actually going to make history in a variety of ways. I think with this, uh, our second edition of this year's spooktober special is, Funny Games from 1997 in Austria, 1998 here in the United States. And what's historic about this is it's for us our very first foreign language film mm -hmm. on the podcast. Um, we've talked about some other ones in the future maybe doing. Um, and so well, this is likely not going to be the last. We have uh, plans for other ones. But uh, Funny Games, obviously um, we're dealing with director Michael Henneke when we deal with this. Um he actually even remade this film, uh, yeah. in English language version, about yeah. ten years after mm -hmm. the ten, 10 years after that, um, and it's it was a pretty divisive movie. I'll go ahead and be upfront. I don't really like this movie, um, but also think it's a very important and valuable movie to talk about because of what it's trying to say. Um, what about funny games to you? Is this goes back to even before I think we were going to do some horror themed stuff in October yeah. this is a movie we talked about doing what about this for you uh, is something that is worthy of discussion or worth talking well, about well I and it's complicated because I I like Henneke's films that I've seen but I also find them to be a pretty 
pretentious and kind of uh, um what's the word i guess morose and uh cynical nihilistic. person yeah. yeah nihilistic i don't know i don't know him personally of course um well, just but, based on his but films, yes yeah. and and i mean I, but i think his movies are valuable at the same time like what you said that uh i mean they're very basic like european uh art cinema in the sense that they're always decrying society and capitalism and you know and i get that but i think you know Sometimes that's like, okay, whatever. But I think his movies are um, important and interesting in that sense. Uh, I guess I've seen four of his films. I've seen uh, The Seventh Continent, which was his debut. Um, a pretty sobering, pretty interesting movie about a family that uh, decides to kill themselves um, because of uh, the life within capitalism or whatever. Um, Benny's video, that's a very... Um, that's also a very sobering movie about a boy that it's actually played by the main of the two younger kids in Funny Games, uh, the two perpetrators. The kind of main one of those is in that as the lead, uh, the titular uh, videographer, if you will, I guess. Yeah. Of him, uh, he kills this, Benny himself. Kills this girl with a cattle uh, gun. Uh, and like films it and then it's about his parents trying to like cover it up for him actually the dad in that movie is the adult dad in funny games okay. too yeah. so it's interesting to see them in the same yeah. uh and then uh 71 fragments of a chronology of chance i think every time the, i feel like giving you a round of applause yeah. every time i hear you say um, that whole title i think is uh <laughs> actually his best movie and that's about uh all these different people, it's kind of like a hyperlink movie about all these different people that are involved in a bank shooting um, in Austria, um, like this mass shooting um, that's on like Christmas Day or around Christmas. I can't remember exactly when it is, but... Um, and then Funny Games, of course. And that Funny Games was the first I saw, though, and I think that it's actually kind of his quintessential movie in a lot of ways because I think that that I've seen so far because he made he's made movies like The Piano Teacher um later on that um is a little bit more of like a drama or you know or even uh cash or cachet was a movie you made a few that. years ago um, that uh kind of um, got some oscar attention oh a more yeah. yeah i think that's a little more of like a drama as yeah. well but he he specializes in these more nihilistic um kind of social yeah. films um and funny games in a lot of ways um is i think the most quintessential of the ones i've seen um, it reminds me a lot of Scream um, in a lot of ways. It's only this, like yeah. a year after. Um, but that it's about this uh, family that goes on this vacation to their like vacation home and is held hostage by these two young men. Um, and basically they're like slowly... Not exactly, I guess, well, I mean, very violent things happen to them. But it's like not... It's not tortured in a typical sense of when you hear that word of like... Uh, like they're held down and waterboarded or something like that, but it's like it is a that, torture. Though, it, yeah. But it is. It's this. But I'm saying it's not even. It's yeah. not even that uh, direct. It's this kind of even more almost excruciating um, form of torture that is very hard to watch. Um, but um, of course, the movie, as we'll talk about, I guess it's sort of a spoiler to say, but uh, not exactly because it is kind of known this about it. Um, is very much wink wink at the audience about itself um and is very much showing that it is a movie um and that it's aware of that um 
Uh, and of course, his whole point of the movie is to be very critical of violence in movies and uh, particularly American films, I think, of course. But that's he originally wanted to make the movie in America, but he didn't get the funding. So then he felt that he had to remake the movie in America about set, 10 years later. Um, with like Naomi Watts and Tim Roth randomly, neither of whom are American, by Michael the way. Michael Pitts. Um, and Michael Pitt. Um, Pitt oh, excuse me. But um, I don't really know why he would, because I feel like he said everything he needed to say. Yes, he really just knew why. that instantly, it being in English, there'd be more of an audience to see that. But that, movie, but yeah. nobody saw it. I don't think, well, and that's nobody cared. Problem, yeah. Then the that his original movie has far more of a a lasting impact. Um, but. What's interesting about that movie, though, and we can talk about it next week, of course, is that it actually, it like another movie that we're going to do later in this series this month, actually isn't as violent as people remember it to be. And it's the, mm-hmm. you know, the, dare I say, you know, genius somewhat of the filmmaking mm-hmm. itself renders it as being more violent than it actually is and makes you think that it was worse than what you actually saw. At least in my memory, I remembered that about it, that it actually pulls punches visually. Yeah. Um, that it doesn't emotionally or kind of uh, aesthetically, but uh, in the visual sense, it's actually not as far as you would think. Right. Um, which is hard to believe. If you've seen the movie, you're probably thinking I'm like saying it ain't all that excruciating or hard to watch, but it certainly is. Um, but it's about but, it makes you feel that way more right. than being very overly right. violent. In the um, which is interesting that he chose to do that in the case of that what he's trying to say yeah. with the movie. Um, but I guess the reason we're doing it is because first of all, it's a little bit different of a horror movie um, because it certainly is a horror movie, but it's not supernatural and it's not explicitly. I mean, it's a home invasion thriller. In a lot of ways, it's not supernatural, it's, but the whole meta textual yeah, yes, nature of it right. makes it in some ways it instinctively is, yeah, right. one too. But yeah. uh, um, and plus, it's a foreign movie. We've been wanting to do something like this. We just felt like it was something different for this group of and movies um, that we're doing. And I want to stress, like, it's not a movie I'm a fan of, but obviously, what it's talking about is very, very important. And I, for one thing, even though I don't quite love the execution at all times, do respect that Henneke was going for to do something like this. Um, but it almost feels as though sometimes when a movie like that, and we'll delve into this next week, and it's trying to implicate the audience in its love of violence for the sake of violence is actually in of itself as a creative being exercising violence yeah. for the sake of violence and delighting in it. And yeah. I, that people might mm-hmm. can quibble with that, and I understand if they would, but... Um, but again, like I think it shares a similar relationship to Scream, a movie that I like quite a bit better. Uh, love that movie. Uh, and recently we rewatched it. Maybe yeah. we can talk about those two in tandem yeah. in relation to the sure. moment that they yeah. came into the world in. Um, but again, it's a harder movie to like than Scream Two, and yeah. it knows that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Scream is trying to be a popular, movie, a popular, yeah. entertaining Hollywood product. And that movie is trying to be intentionally, you know, uh, shocking and grotesque. Um, And it would be easy to say, well, I'd rather watch Scream, but does that make the other one more, quote, inherently better just because it's harder to watch? I'm not necessarily sure if that's the case, but nonetheless, it's a conversation yeah, that we decided it would be. Yeah, worth and having. I and I like funny games, but uh, very tempestuously because I feel that. There's a lot of things. And also, honestly, it's a movie that I hate to admit 
that I would love. I actually don't love it, but if I did, I'd never tell you because it'd be like uh, a you, you know, know, it's a class of movie like Fight Club, yeah. or and it's very very right. very nineties movies of that time of that iron, ironic nineties take. Um, the oh, we're just so much smarter than you. And if you don't like it, then you're part of the problem, right? Like, or the vibes yeah. that both movies like that put out, you know. Um, so also memorable use of music in that movie, if you remember. Yeah. No. No, I mean, it's very. <laughs> yeah. It's a memor- movie that yeah. has stuck with me, and there's a lot of movies like that that I don't particularly like, but I remember and stick with me much more than yeah. movies that I like better yeah. on. And paper, I think you know? that other than Benny's video, his other movies are actually better that I've seen. So. Uh, that's at least some sort of, I guess, recommendation. But I guess for a lot of but, people, that would be an entry point. But yeah, you know, it was a shocking movie. Yeah. And then and for you and, too, yeah, I guess. Sure. Yeah, so, yeah. Uh, yeah, for me, I'll be honest, we had talked about this months in advance and we were hoping to have, me especially, yeah. see more of Henneke stuff. And frankly, I've, we're just, we're just run out of time, yeah. and we haven't had. Well, a they're not the to. cheeriest movies to watch at all either, and I honestly didn't want to put myself back through some of those experiences. No, no, so, I, I'm saying for yeah. myself, I no, feel like I, I dropped the no, ball I'm not seeing no, some no, of it. I, so, well, and um, I wanted to watch more of his stuff too, and I just didn't. But um, yeah, but so just go into that, being right. aware of that. Uh, yeah. You've seen more than me, but yeah. uh, but so that does it for our, our first installment of the Spooktober special. Uh, next, though. The way we want to end these episodes is playing off a little bit of music that means something to us. In a certain way. In I guess, particular, yeah. there's a particular CD that we uh, as a family right listen to a lot over the Halloween season because I don't remember when this was bought. This was, uh, uh, It would have been in the 2000s. Sometime in the 2000s. Yeah. Uh, give us the name of the it's, album uh, here. It's called Trick or Treat Halloween Music, uh, and it's from a company called Drew's Famous Party Music. Uh, it's also known kind of now as Drew's Famous Entertainment. Um, But basically, these are these people uh, by way of this kind of musical group called The Hit Crew that they basically make covers of uh, famous songs for party music. Yeah, so Um, you can tell this is just a CD that is likely designed to be just put into like a CD player at a Halloween party. Right. And is, you know, going to basically just be background music for the party festivities basically um and we're not going to go through the whole list of these because some of them we want to save for the future uh that we're going to play out yeah Uh, but i'll first of all say about and i haven't heard any of their other uh entertainment stuff offering say uh but i have to say with this the hit crew or whatever they are they it actually they make pretty convincing covers now they sound uh, and, as someone who yeah. kind of grew up with some of listening to some of these before I heard the real versions. Yeah. I mean, they sound very convincing right. in a lot of ways. And so, I, mean. I it sounds kind of like we're making fun of the whole thing, but I'm genuinely often impressed by. Yeah, we say it with the, love, actually. Yeah, I think. because it, um, these are a lot of songs we heard for the first time, and uh, maybe somebody out there knows what we're talking about. If you don't, go look it up. But you've but, seen the, plenty of these before oh, in the past. Yeah. These like generic party music CDs or yeah. whatever. And again, these are the covers that we're going to be playing, not right. the original versions. So yes. just be so, prepared for that. Yes. So we're going to play one today, three the next three weeks, and then a special non-Drew's uh, Drew's famous, famous uh, the yeah. last episode. Right. Um, but the very first one, we've already talked about and even had this song in some ways on the podcast back when it we was, did. It had to have been flagged, I'm the sure. The Color of Money, yeah. which was Werewolves of London. 
Uh, originally, it was Warren Zavon. Zavon. Zavon, yeah. who did the original version. Yeah. Um, any thoughts on the song? Well, Wells you know, it's a song that I think a lot about, actually, because it randomly gets played on the radio year-round, you know? Like, it's yeah. a pretty, you know, famous song. Um, There's some other songs on here that are really goofy, too, that we're going to talk about in depth later. Mm-hmm. But that song is just so goofy. I mean, like, if you really just listen to, to what it is saying, I mean, it literally opens with talking about a werewolf wanting to go to a Chinese restaurant to get some beef chow mein. Like, <laughs> what the heck? And then talking about him, what is it? It's like a Saul Lon Chaney walking with the queen yeah. doing the werewolves of London. Like, <laughs> And then Saul Lon Chaney Jr. walking with the queen doing the werewolves of London. It's pretty wild, so, by the way, that like, the queen that it's making mention of at that is time still is still our queen. queen. Yeah. Yes. Well, not our queen, but uh, not anybody's queen. Yeah. But we're not monarchists on yeah. this podcast, even though we watch The Crown. Yeah. Um well, you know what's even better about that, though, is that we don't have to have an opinion on that because we're not English. Yeah, so it's we just can like, shrug, that's whatever. their thing. But, um, but anyway, yeah, I think it's a, I think it's actually a pretty stupid song, to be honest. Like, sorry if there's any fans out there. I don't really get what it's going for, but I enjoy it, yeah, I right. guess. Like, uh, I think it's funny. I mean, I think it was used very well in Color of Money yeah. uh, with Tom Cruise playing that. And it's a very weird place to use it, but I think it yeah. just... Scorsese knows music better yeah. than either one of us. So, do, do you have so. any thoughts on the song? Uh, it's one of those songs that every time you hear, you kind of get into and listen. And then again, like you said, you pick apart the lyrics and you're like, "What is this about?" Like, I mean, there's a werewolf in London, American werewolves in yeah. Well, that's London, because like, originally that movie was named that as like a joke on an American in Paris. Yeah, and it was like an American werewolf in London because the song was famous and they wanted to use the song, but they couldn't get the rights. Right, so that's why it's not in the movie, but mm-hmm. it kind of is in the movie because it's the name. Right. I mean, it's not literally. So another, another lyric I wanted to harp upon before you hear the whole song in yeah. just a moment is the, the moment that's like, uh, hound around your kitchen door, better not let him in, and then uh, <laughs> uh, what. I love like the quick vocal delivery of little old lady got mutilated late last night. I mean, <laughs> all the hoops you got to yeah. jump through to get to that. Yeah, wow. But I have to say, though, this version we're going to be playing, like I said, I'm pretty sure we found the cover version, so you're going to get to hear the cover version. Yeah. But the, it sounds like the song. Mm-hmm. I, what's interesting, though, is it's a little bit of a gruffer delivery, so I actually prefer this version to the real version. Yeah. But that's just me. But we're weird that way. Yeah. Yeah. So, next week, funny games. <laughs> Have fun with that. Have some funny games, yeah. I guess. So, but, uh, yeah. this is Kyle. This is Levi. Take care. God bless and hey, watch and hey, out. Yeah, don't be that don't be walking around that kitchen door, okay? Like you better not. There's a werewolf of London about. So take care and God bless. The Chinese menu in his hand Walking through the streets in snow and rain He was looking for a place called Lee Ho Forks Gonna get a big dish of beef chow mein
kitchen door No better not let him in Little old lady got really late late last night Werewolves of London again Ah, werewolves of London Ah,